Welcome to the Degenerates Clubhouse, a place for less than distinguished gentlemen to discuss nonsense and fuck all tomfoolery. With your hosts Aaron and Armando. Honestly, who's going to listen to this? What a couple of stupid fucking cunts. Welcome back, <laughs> listeners, to episode 21 of the Degenerates Clubhouse. And I have a feeling this, this could be a, a bit of a, a, a down episode. You know, if this was... Um, this, if this was a Star Wars franchise, some of our earlier podcasts that might have been the uh, the prequels with fucking Jar Jar Banks when we didn't know what the, what we were doing, <laughs> and, and this, this this might be uh, your Return of the Jedi, you know, or, uh, or sorry, the Empire Strikes Back, where where Luke gets his hand cut off and you find out Darth Vader's his father and Han Solo gets frozen in carbonite. Um, I know, I know, you guys tuned in for a. a, a Quick recap of the whole Star Wars franchise, but we're going to move on from that. And uh, being that this was a bit of a down episode, or could be, it has the potential. I'm not, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. Um, but I, I did, I did want to start off with a, a story that I was thinking about last night um, a little bit because I thought it might be a a, a a moment of levity, maybe a little little humor before we get into the rest of it because. I was I was where I couldn't sleep all last night. I had a feeling that I might get some bad news today. Uh-oh. And I was up and I was thinking about stuff and I I had been thinking about trying to tell the story of my experiences as a women's lacrosse coach and all the health problems in the format of like a 1-hour stand-up special. <laughs> okay. And I was like, how the fuck do I even like frame this? Like where do I start? And I was l- listening to some other um, stand-up specials, and a lot of them kind of started with a story that wasn't even related directly to what they were talking about, but kind of set up some of the themes and the ideas. And I was like, where, where, where would I start mine? And I thought maybe I should start that special telling about my first uh, theatrical, my first and only theatrical performance. Um, and I, did I, so I, I, I'm actually trying to remember, did, did I ever tell you about my one time as a stage actor. No, this happened post your College. Pre, way pre. Oh, okay. College. No, you, no, you didn't. No, no, didn't. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, no, no, you're 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 thinking you're like, wow, were you like off Broadway? Yeah, or no. Did you? Still, no. This was this was uh, this was the fifth grade play. That was my one and only time on stage. No, you you did um, not tell me about your one and only time. Did did you guys have play? Did you do like a, a a play in elementary school? Was that ever part of your curriculum? Uh, I think so, but they weren't really. They, they the production value was like you know paper paper backgrounds that kind of shit. Shit. We did some stuff towards I think my senior in high school, but still. Uh, well, it was the, it was the same for us. You know, it was it was not uh, exactly like like um, you know Hamilton level yeah. uh, production. But every year, the fifth grade class would do a play for the whole school. And uh, we got really into it because our, our music teacher was one of the most enthusiastic teachers I, I've ever had. Like, she was, she was an older, older woman. She's probably, probably like early 50s, had like the huge sort of like Marge Simpson sort of hair. Oh, shit. Uh, and, her, her, and her name was Miss Beebe. I remember that. Um, which, which is like kind of a great music teacher name. It almost sounds like you're starting to do a vocal warm up, like Miss B B B B B B B B. Okay. <laughs> but uh, 
There's a joke in there somewhere. I haven't figured it out. But anyhow, the play that, that she picked for us was going to be Alice in Wonderland. Uh-huh. Uh, Alice in Wonderland play, exactly. And <laughs> if the, the way I remember it, it was basically like someone had gotten really drunk and like watched like the Disney animated version of Alice in Wonderland uh-huh. and then just tried to like type it up as a play. Okay. Um, so it's you know very 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 kid friendly, uh, not especially nuanced. You know it's Alice and oh uh, you know wondering wondering around oh I'm chasing the white rabbit oh the Queen of Hearts off with your head. It was just a very like kind of silly uh, fun thing. And I, originally I remember the 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 part I wanted to play was the Dormouse. Do you do you remember the Dormouse from the cartoon? The Dormouse from the cartoon. No. Yeah. It's I'm, you probably would because it's not a very big part. Okay. Like he he was and in the play, uh, he just had this one little monologue. And I remember still it started with like like twinkle 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 little bat, how I wonder where you're at. Mm. Um, and that was the part I wanted to play because I'm like oh you get like one cool monologue you get to basically say this little poem and in the the Disney version, it, it's like the Dormouse had this very like. Um, sort of like bubbly quality of his voice kind of sounded like he just like drank a bunch of champagne and was like kind of hammered mm. and, his, and and like I wonder if I could still do it it was like he was like twinkle twinkle little I can't now my voice has, has changed too much twinkle twinkle little bit oh, I wonder where no I can't quite get it um but that was what I wanted to do but then even even back in fifth grade I was I was in a enterprising sort of uh, I I got the script and I looked at it I'm like reading through the script and I'm seeing who is trying out for all the parts and I was like wow this play's gonna suck because the thing that tied the whole play together was the queen of hearts like she she was she didn't have any big monologues or anything like that but she had by far and away the most lines in the play and she was sort of directing all the action she was the the, the main antagonist that was sort of like generating all the conflict and the only person going out for the queen of hearts was this girl named Isabel Warner and I I mean she she had a I, in my memory she was like absolutely tiny and that, that was for me in fifth grade so she was probably about three and a half feet tall okay like this tiny little girl who who you know had, had this, this sort of like uh, like chirping like like little bird voice of like you know like oh I'm the queen of hearts off with your head I'm like that's not gonna fly like this play is gonna suck like the only way this play is any good is if the queen of hearts is just like an absolute mad woman like terrorizing everyone you know these huge emotional swings where she's like she you know because i could see reading the lines oh you could read this where you're just saying oh uh you know i don't like that off with your head or you could be like you could just have this huge emotional swing where she flies off the handle and it's like you don't know what she's going to do next i'm like that's the play that i want to see but we don't have anyone to play the queen of hearts but i think i could do that (laughs) Oh man! And it was perfect. I mean, I, I could I could nail the the accent, and my voice hadn't changed that part. So like, I didn't even really have to <laughs> affect my voice. And I I I legitimately sounded like an older British woman when I did it. Um, tell me you got tell me you got the part. So 
I, I, I did have to audition, you know, after, you know, I, cause I, I'd auditioned for the Dormouse. I could do the, the Disney voice perfect. And I was like, I was like, Miss Beebe, I want to audition for a different part. She's like, what, what, what part do you want to audition for? You know, we've got a lot of them filmed. I'm like, I want to audition for the Queen of Hearts. She's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then I, and I read for it and she was, I mean, and again, I, I really, let me put it this way. I, I can only assume that Heath Ledger somehow as a young man snuck over from Australia and saw my rendition and that influenced his performances as the Joker. Like it was that level of just insanity and nuance. Oh my God. And, and, and I read for it. She's like, she, I mean, she just, just, just jaw on the floor. Like, Oh my God. Like, you know, just, just, just like golf clap. That was incredible. But are you, are you, are you sure you want to do this? And what I thought she was asking me was, are you sure you can play that role and it will make the play better? And I was like, yeah, definitely. And then she's like, yeah, but are you sure? And I, and again, I didn't realize what she was really saying was, are you sure you're ready to handle all the social fallout that's going to come of you dressing in drag and getting on a stage in front of the entire show as a fifth grader? But I did not understand that at all, which may lead you to ask the question, are you autistic? And like, no, no, I'm not <laughs> autistic. I don't, I don't think so. And, and this was the one joke that I came up with for, for my stand-up thing is, is like, look, I, I'm not, okay, I'm not, I'm not autistic, I don't, I don't think. But like, let me, let me put it this way. If autism was a city, I don't live there, but I do rent an Airbnb occasionally. Gotcha. Uh, I I did I did uh, I did play the Queen of Hearts. Uh, everybody was very surprised when they saw me on stage. Um, I think I think that was a very formative experience uh, in my early life. Going to pay less shoes to buy red pumps with my mom for me. Um, <laughs> Let me ask you something. What happened to that girl that was supposed or that was? Audition the other girl, the little tiny girl that was auditioning for the Queen of Hearts. Did she just like say "fuck this guy"? Like, was she? Did she hate you? I don't know. Probably. Did she end up getting the part of the Dormouse? No. Uh, J- Jason Royster ended up playing the Dormouse. I remember that, and he was, he he was he was a a uh, young black kid, one of the few black kids at that school, which was weird because we lived really close to to uh, like our like our. Um, our town like bordered city line, mm-hmm. so but we, for whatever reason we didn't we, like we didn't have a big black population in our school, um, and and he but he ended up playing the the dormouse pretty well too. He, he kind of had like a uh, a very kind of like sleepy quality to the way he played the role, and it fit very well. But he didn't he didn't do the voice. So so did you get a couple th- a couple questions? I got like I I probably have yeah. twenty questions. But a couple that spring up to my mind. Number one, did your folks ever save video of uh, no no pictures? They should have pictures. I mean, because I I think no, I don't I don't think any of it. And because we could have submitted that performance to to the academy um, retroactively, I think. And I, you know, there there has to be some sort of reward for um, best dramatic performance in a, a elementary school play. <laughs> 
you know, I could have I could have gotten some sort of Oscar. I think they would have made a category for me if they could have seen it, but no, they didn't, sadly. And the other question is, did you get ridiculed by other kids and what'd you do? Yes, I did. <laughs> I really did and I really didn't do anything. I was just sort of like, uh. Um I didn't I didn't know how to deal with getting made fun of. Like I didn't have the concept of like comebacks or any of that. I didn't I didn't figure any of that out until really college, to be honest. Um, so, uh, but that, that definitely, I think that foreshadowed a lot of things. Um, I mean, one in terms of, um, you still wear red ladies shoes on the weekends. Uh, thigh high boots, not shoes. Come on. <laughs> shoes, shoe, the, the pumps that that's like elementary level. You, gotcha. you, you progress you as you get older. Uh, but I mean, aside from that, it was like one, I did something that I thought was interesting, even though it sort of came at, at uh, some personal loss or, or conflict. That was two, uh, one. And then two, I, I, I definitely, I took a, a job that really rightly should have gone to a, a woman. <laughs> you know what? Actually, <laughs> so if that, you, that, if you th- in, in retrospect, if you look at that, I mean, I think we make fun of you because we make fun of you, but. I think I think if you had made that decision like now, like if a kid made that decision now, like the times at at hand now, it would be yeah. completely accepted and acceptable. You you wouldn't be made fun of. Um, I think it'd be. I think people would applaud you now. Like if you did that now, if you were a fifth year fifth, five, uh, fifth grade kid auditioning for, fifth, if you were fi- a fifth grade boy auditioning for a female role. And you just did a good job of it. You'd be applauded, you know. Well, and, and I wasn't okay, and I, I wasn't like ridiculed mercilessly for that. I mean, I did, I did get some flack for that specifically. The that was more a symptom of a larger problem, right? Because it, it, you know, it was fifth grade. You, you go on to to middle school. There's obviously some kids from your, your elementary school that go with you, but there's a whole bunch of new people. Like it's easy to kind of turn the page, but I was also a kid that thought that would be a good idea. And there was like nothing weird about that. I should just, and really that was my thought process. I'm like, Oh yeah, I know that in, in uh, theater, like, you know, sometimes men play women's parts. Like it's just what you do in theater. It's not a big deal, but I made other decisions, maybe not one quite that, pronounced but along the same lines where i'm like yeah like this isn't weird i'm just gonna go do this because it'll be cool while you know in middle school and that uh uh, (laughs) like i said that was that was a a symptom of a general line of thinking and just being kind of like a a weird little kid that that I, i had and i did get made fun of and bullied a lot in middle school and uh that was probably a good Pre- precursor did you to, have, you know, a foreshadowing. Were, were, were there any, uh, do, do you recall, were there any, uh, were you given any mean nicknames back then because of that specifically or no? It, yeah, it didn't stick, but like in elementary, for the rest of the school year in elementary school, like kids I didn't even fucking know would like, would be like, hey, Queenie. Oh, that's dumb. Because they're like, yeah, well, they're fucking elementary school kids and they're morons, but yeah. like, and that's when we're like, I, you know, I was like, man, if you guys really think this through, you probably could come up with a much meaner nickname. Yeah. Like, I almost wanted to, like, help them bully me. Yeah. Like, that's, you know what? At least I had the good sense to not, not, not go that far. Man, I wish I was, there was video or pictures at least. That I do, too. I'm telling you, it was a, it was a really good performance. I, I mean, to, to the, and let me, let me, let me, 
explain to you how keyed into that role I was. Because we had to do two performances. We did one for parents. It was like the, the parents' you know performance where everybody comes. And it's probably somebody somewhere out there, uh, someone does have videotape of this. Because there were definitely a lot of parents there and they were videotaping. Um, and, but then you had to do a second performance for the school. In front of the, and, just in front of the kids, like during school hours. Yeah. It was like, an, you know, like you have an assembly, all the kids come in, they watch the play. And the, the one of the last lines in the play, like kind of at the very end, is, is we've had this whole trial for Alice. And, the, you know, my line was like, it's like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think we should let her go. Like, what do you think? Like, and you'd say that to the audience. And they're supposed to, you know, they're supposed to say, yeah, let her go. And then you're like, all right, yeah, I guess we'll have to let her go then. So the parents, like, of course, are fucking parents and they play along because they're like, oh, look, our little kids. Yay, let her go. And then whoever wrote this play was a moron and did not take into account that the primary audience was elementary school kids. Right. So when we do it for the, 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 the kids during the assembly, I get to that line, I'm like... I was like, okay, I, I guess we have to let her go, don't we? And they're just like <laughs> heckling openly. They're like, no, like kill her, kill her. <laughs> Off with their head. Like they're all yelling it. And like my next line is supposed to be, oh, I, I guess we'll have to let her go then. But again, I'm telling you, like I was plugged in. <laughs> and I, so like I, I had an epic off script impromptu monologue where like they're all yelling and like I just like very very quietly like walk to the end of the stage you know very very front of the stage where it's weren't like I'm almost off of it where I could like jump into the audience just standing over them and then just yell as loud as I could like silence and they're like what and I was like I was like who do you think you are it's like you sniffling little children are going to tell me, <laughs> the Queen of Hearts, what to do? So you're, How dare so you're you? Feeling I was going to execute her. We were going to chop off her head right here. There would have been blood all over the state. Like, like all the teachers were like, what the fuck is going on? My music, I, the whole time, though, I'm saying this, I'm just like really like watching Miss BB because she's in the front and she's got this big shitting green grin on her face, like nodding her head. Like, yes, like, oh my yeah, God, yeah. this is. This is a theatrical breakthrough. And I'm like, yeah, I was going to chop off her head. But nobody tells me what to do. So to show you, like, I forget what I said, but I was like, so just for that, I'm going to let her go. And they were like, oh, no. (laughs) I'm like, and then we let her go. I was like, I was, I mean, you know, if if we had a a rap party, I would have gotten, like, drunk and and expected my... uh, my Oscar to come in the mail. I mean, it was, it was next level stuff for fifth grade. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I don't know how much of our reach, uh, gets to your old, uh, elementary school, uh, uh, classmates. But if, if any one of Aaron Jaffe's classmates, parents has video of this shit and are willing to send it to me, I will pay you a hundred dollars of my good money to send me a copy of any video and or photos of Aaron wearing this uh, a Queen of Hearts getup. I want to see it. It's out there. Someone's got to have it. Some somewhere. You know. You know who would have it? 
So, so the tricky part. This is, I was just thinking. I was like, how would I actually track it down? You, you can't. You can't uh, go to any of the girls in the play um, because it's just too hard to find them. I bet a lot of them probably have different last names now. Right. They're all married and shit. Um, and I can't even remember. I don't. I don't know what Isabel ended up playing. I remember the girl who played Alice was named. Was actually named Allison. I don't remember her last name, but I, I remember the King of Hearts was played by Jonathan Reamer, and I feel like his parents were the type <laughs> that would have recorded. What about it. and not to bring? I mean, I, I imagine Miss Beebe is is a lot older and or retired or or maybe passed on. But uh, whatever happened to Miss Beebe? Maybe she has something like a cast photo or something. It's it's possible. It's possible. I don't. God, if she's still alive. Yeah, so I was say I don't want to bring up like she might be, she might be old. Yeah, um, time time marches on. That's that's become a uh, a cliche in the UFC, but time's undefeated. Yeah, yeah, for real. I was watching um, uh, before before we started recording. I was watching like I was I was watching stuff on YouTube just to kill time between uh, when I got your text to start this thing, and I was watching uh, <laughs> excuse me. I was watching uh, like the best of Ali G, and like you know who Ali G is, right? You mean Sasha Baron Cohen? Yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen. Ali G, he, yeah, and he, and he dresses up like as this Euro like hip hop, uh, you know, wannabe. Bah. Yeah, yeah. What he's it always, is? Yeah, so he's uh he's he's doing this uh this little bit where he's he's just to clarify, basically, it, it was sort of like a precursor to Borat. Um, and, right. and he was play, he's playing like a, like a, uh, I guess it would be like West London, uh, Londoner who's kind of a wannabe hip hop person with a, you know, a, a strong Cockney accent, incredibly stupid. And it was great because at that point, nobody had any idea who Sasha Baron Cohen was. And yeah. a lot of people thought it was on the, the level. Yeah. So he, uh, he's, he's talking to like this doctor and he's like. I forget how he says it, but some about I would like to think that at least ten percent of us live forever, or something like where he's not gonna ever die. And the doctor's like, "No, no, it's it's absolute that every human being eventually dies." And he's like, "Ali G's like calling him a a, a downer, like like a negative person. Like you're such a negative person." Or I forget how he words it. I don't do the I don't do the character justice at all. But Ali G's funny as fuck. Um, like yeah, we all die. Speaking of death, I guess that was an unintentional tangent, but I I did want to bring it up because it was kind of it's it's an impactful uh, person on I guess my upbringing. Uh, today we're recording. It's it's Wednesday, um, uh, Monday night. We're all going to bed. It's about eleven o'clock. I have the TV on low, and I hear the phone ring. My mom's like room is next to mine. So I could hear her talking to someone on the phone at eleven o'clock. I'm like, what the fuck? I could hear her crying. I go, Oh shit. Something fucking happened. What the fuck? So I kinda waited for her to wrap up the conversation. I couldn't really make out what she was saying or what they were talking about or who, you know. So as soon as she hung up the phone, she was still, you know, sobbing or whatever, and I, I go over to the door and knock on it because I don't know if she's fully dressed or whatever, you know. Um you know, she answers kind of angrily. She's like, what? I'm like, uh, I hear you crying. What's going on? You know, and 
she's like, come in. Okay, so I go in, and apparently um, her her uncle, uh, we, we all call him uncle, but her uncle uh, passed away, had a had a heart attack, heart attack late at night. Um, he was, uh, real important to, to, I say what he was really important to my upbringing or our, our, you know, our family's upbringing, I guess, is that, um, my, my aunt or my, my mom's aunt, uh, is, uh, obviously my grandmother's sister, duh. My mom's aunt married into, married my uncle, my uncle Ralph. And, uh. Growing up, my mom got knocked up with me when, <laughs> when she was 16. She was she was a youngin when she she got knocked up with me, and essentially, how I understand it is like my my mom was kind of kicked out. <laughs> my grandmother kicked my mom out because she was like young, teen, pregnant, whatever. But my my aunt or my mom's aunt and her her husband, my uncle, her uncle, like took her in and and you know provided. For my mom when she was, for the most part, kind of ousted. So growing up, um, I call him Uncle Ralph, but he's my mom's uncle. Uncle Ralph and, and Tia Lucia, Aunt Lucia, they were always, um, they provided when, when nobody else really did uh, growing up. Well, wait, so um, did they take her in or, or like where did your mom go when she's... I, I, you know what, that part, I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't know if they, if they took her in or they just provided financial support. I know, I know they did, they did at least provide some financial support. My dad was also young, not, not as young as my mom. <laughs> he was a bit older when he knocked her up, but, uh, he, you know, he was, he wasn't, he was barely making ends meet, you know, uh, um, uh, minimum wage type job, you know, I think he was. Wait, so, so how, how old was your dad? My dad was 20. My mom was 16. Yeah. Ah, uh huh. All yeah. right. Yeah, that shit like that happened when we were younger. In fact, most of my aunts and uncles, when they got knocked up younger, they were with guys that were slightly older. You know, that's not a- a- as bad. I mean, there there was one. Um, I don't have to get into this; it's a whole different story. But where where it was the the younger partner was sixteen or seventeen, and the older one was like thirty. I'm yeah, like, yeah. That's not cool. Yeah, a guy sh- a guy a guy should know better. Um, but I think, I think during that time, during that era, like, like youth and, and teen pregnancy was a big, and it's always been kind of a big deal. It's, it still is now, but, um, and then that, and not that, not to say it's an excuse, but we're fucking Mexican. We're Latin. We fucking make babies at a young age, I guess. Um, yeah, except for I, I the, wasn't going to say it, but cur- you, you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cur- current, ge- current generation, uh. Uh, is an exception. Obviously, I, I don't have children. My brother uh, just turned 36 like a week ago. Uh, he doesn't have children. My my sister's the youngest. She's got kids. Anyway, I don't even know why we brought up kids. But um, yeah, Uncle Ralph, when we were growing up, um, again, <laughs> again, all of my aunts and uncles were like in their latter 20s, maybe 30s, you know, and they all had kids. And none of these motherfuckers had like, like legit you know, good jobs, but all of them like to watch boxing and, and all of like myself and cousins, my age, boy cousins, we used to love watching like WWF. We used to love watching wrestling. So my uncle Ralph's home was always a place where we would go and get 
like the pay-per-views. Like he would pay for the pay-per-view and everyone would just chip in five, ten bucks, whatever the hell the pay-per-view costed, just to make sure that all the kids could watch the wrestling. Uh, my uncle was, uh, and and my aunt, by the way, were, were, were really big, like Lucha Libre and WWF fans growing up. So it was cool to always go to their place, watch the pay-per-view, whether there was wrestling or boxing, pro boxing. Um, they were always welcoming. Um, uh, I, also, on the same token, my 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 aunt uh, is is just uh, recovering from some type of stage four ca- cancer. So that with COVID going on, all this crazy shit, my my uh, my aunt and my uncle weren't really living together. I think she was being taken care of by a different family member. So I think that may I don't know the loneliness aspect, the, being older. Um, living apart from your your partner, I think some of that might have, I don't know, you know, you get older and, and you do for sure, um, you know, health sucks. He's he's uh, he used to have like I think a, a type of diabetes um, from heavy 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 drinking. We used to there used to be a joke going around to <laughs> to kind of bring levity. I I, I don't want it to be all you know doom and gloom. Someone passed away. You know, it's coronavirus times. A lot of people are passing away, but. Um, <laughs> there used to be a joke, uh, like, do, do you know what the, the cause was? It was a heart attack. Heart attack? Yeah, heart attack. Um, I don't know if there was some COVID complications. I imagine there was. I know my aunt, uh, supposedly has COVID, although they weren't, oh. they weren't living together again. When my aunt was being kind of taken care of by uh, other family members while she was re- recovering from this stage four cancer, she just beat. Or or is or is, fa- is battling fighting whatever but, um. Uh, yeah, so there used to be this. Again, we'd get together like whenever there was like a pay per view boxing event or whatever. Or sometimes on just weekends we'd get together as a family and everyone would go to my aunt and uncle's house. There'd be like a barbecue. Everyone would bring beer. It was like a BYOB. Everyone would bring a six or twelve or whatever. The joke was if there was like a family function, my uncle Ralph would show up with a twelve pack of beer. Um enjoy his beer, enjoy everybody else's beer, and he would always leave the party with an 18-pack of beer. <laughs> that was kind of, you know, heavy drinker. Enjoyed his, it, enjoyed his beer. Is, is there one, like, story or even just, like, a, kind of like a moment you had with him that you really remember, something that stands out? Uh, he was, uh, even, even to us, even to us, you know, because we're not, he and I were not blood related. He married into my grandmother's mm-hmm. sister, so we're not like directly blood related. He he he's, you know, for all accounts, he could just we were just grandkids of his, whatever. Like I guess he's a great uncle. I think it's technically what he is to to me. But um, even as kids, at these family functions events, you know, adults would have their drinking and play poker and that kind of bullshit, and uh. If, like, an ice cream truck vendor ever came around the, the block or whatever, like, you know, our parents didn't have money, and they would tell us to fuck off if we asked for money anyways. They would, like, beat it, little kid. Don't don't mm-hmm. bug me for a dollar or 50 cents or whatever the hell the ice creams cost back then. But my Uncle Ralph was always like, here, mijo. He'd always, he was always very, uh, for sure, financially, like, generous. Like, he, like, even though they didn't have a lot of money, um... And and there was a lot. Look, Latin families. We have a lot of cousins, right? There's like fucking ten, fifteen, twenty of us fucking running around, and we're all begging mom and dad. We hear the ice cream truck coming around the corner. 
We all beg our, beg our parents for a quarter, 50 cents to go buy an ice cream. And then all of a sudden, go fuck ourselves. He would be like, here's five bucks, buy ice cream for everybody. You know, that was, he was always very giving and, 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 uh, and uh, selfless. And he was like that with my, again, with my parents when they were, <laughs> when my dad knocked at my mom, he was very giving in that way too. He was always, uh, they were both always welcoming. Um, and I don't know that they were like that just to my mom and my dad. They were probably like that with just everybody. That's just how they were. They were very, they were, they were never very, very never, uh, they weren't ever tight. Um, they were always very generous and very giving and, and, uh, um, a couple years back, uh, two, three years ago, you know, they were already both in poor, poor health. My, my great aunt, my great uncle, they were already both in poor health. And there was, um, we talked about like, Hey, you know, when we were, when we were younger and we were kids, we used to always get together as a big family and have family functions, parties, barbecues, what have you. But we haven't had one in a long time. And especially with my great aunt, great uncle getting older in age, wouldn't mm-hmm. it be cool if we took the party to them? Like, why don't we put something together and, and, and like, you know, so they don't have to really go anywhere. Again, they're older. Why don't we yeah. throw a party in their backyard or something and like, let them like be surprised. And, and, and there was talks about doing something like that a couple of years ago. No one ever really, uh, no one ever really took charge of it, you know, um, you know, it's 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 not super complex, co- complicated to put something together, I guess. But I guess no one ever really took the bolts for the, by the horn and, and made it happen. But that would have been a nice um, two, three years ago would have been a nice like send off. You know, like, hey, you know, when we were younger, we used to get together at your house all the time and you would provide for everybody. This time we're coming to you. We're providing all this shit for you. Um, it would have been a nice send off. But, you know, it's kind of. <laughs> it's kind of late for my uh for my great uncle at least uh my great aunt still kicking so maybe we could do something like that for her um my mom's heartbroken you know she's you know like i said she 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 was taken in um uh but my uncle and my my great uncle great aunt so she's heartbroken she you know made a little shrine <laughs> uh for my uncle here in the house and it's it's kind of a bummer, but I don't wanna I don't wanna look at it like that. I don't wanna uh I don't want it to be a, like a big like a cloud over the house. You know, my my, my great uncle was, was loved for sure. Um rest in peace. Uh we know he's in a good place for a fact. He 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 you know, if there's a heaven and hell and all that shit, he a hundred and ten percent earned his wings, without a doubt. Um yeah, we were on the. <laughs> I I bought your levity and I bought it way down. Let's try to pick it back up. You know, let's try to let's try to be a little more. All right. Well. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I was trying to think. Then let me let me at least uh, temporarily table uh, some of the stuff I was going to talk about because um, that's not going to bring the mood up at all. But when I was when I was hearing y- you speak, uh, God, I was I was thinking, God, this I don't know if this is this is going to seem like it, it's going to bring it up at, at least at first. But um, I was just thinking that, I, well, I, I hope you understand, you know, even though it, you know it's always tragic when when somebody dies, that 
I, I think you are really lucky to have that extended family and I've gotten a chance to really know them and, and be around them and everything like that. Um, cause like, I, I guess I don't, I don't know if I've really even told you much about the sort of family structure that, that, I, that I've got, but like, I, I don't have a lot of extended family period. Yeah. Um, cause see, see here, here we go. Here we go. We're really going to bring the, the mood up here. You're white. My dad's like, <laughs> My my dad's side of the family, no, it's not even that. My dad's side of the family is is, is Jewish, so like most of them just got killed in the Holocaust. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> which, which, again, when you want it, when you need to bring up the mood, you the first probably go to thing you want to talk about is, is always the Holocaust. <laughs> like you're like you're like, hey, you're having a bad day. Well, guess what? It's not as bad as those six million Jews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so look on the bright side of life, guys. Um, and and my, my dad does have some family that, that didn't get killed, and I haven't, I haven't met most of them. Um, the only time I've ever met them was when I went to my grandmother's on his, his, his mother's funeral. And there were maybe like seven or eight people I'd never seen in my life. And I, f- I felt really bad because the, the, the side of my dad's family that I do know is he's got a brother who's still alive. And then I've got two cousins, a boy and a girl. Um, and they, the, all three of them were, were there at the funeral. And like my cousins, I mean, they're doing very, very well for themselves in life. They're much more uh, accomplished than I am. I mean, the, my, my cousin Sharon, she's married. She's a medical researcher. She's got a kid. Um, my cousin James is, uh, he's engaged, like he's got a good career. And at this freaking funeral for my grandmother, all anybody would talk about was me because I was a, like a foot taller than all of them. <laughs> Cause they're, they're all like little like Jewish people who are, they're all like five foot two. And, and, uh, and I just remember one of my, it's, you know, they're the, that the, the people I hadn't met were all from Long Island. They got the Long Island accent. They're like. My dad's name is Mark. They're like, Mark, how'd you do that? Mark, Mark, <laughs> like, Mark. No, that's more Brooklyn. Um, anyhow, we don't have to get into that. But like, yeah, they're just they're just flabbergasted by the fact that I was six feet tall. Um, yeah, how did and that? I was, and I'm just sitting there like, it's like, man, like my poor cousins, like actually have like made something of themselves. I'm uh, a, a, I was a, still an assistant women's lacrosse coach, um, but I remember. Um, I remember when that that uh, funeral happened, like that really hit me hard because because one, um, it, it, it just sort of was a shock of like, wow, this is how small my family is. And I really had never appreciated how much of an anchor my grandmother was. She was the only one because my 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 uh, my uncle and cousins, they lived in Chicago and we were in you know Pennsylvania. So that's. Uh, you know, I'd, so maybe I'd see them every like two or three years yeah. for, you know, for a few days on a, on a holiday or something like that. Um, and she was always the one kind of bringing the family together saying, oh, we have to go to Chicago to have family pictures. You have to come or you guys have to come to the East Coast for Christmas. Like that kind of she was the, the that sort of uh, unifying force behind our family. And I was like, fuck, oh, she's gone. Like, I don't, so I, I don't, I haven't seen my cousins for, uh, for, for years. Um, when, when which is, it was a bummer because my cousin James is a cool guy. When, when did your grandmother pass? When did you last, you know, when, is that like a decade ago or? <sighs> so that would have been like 2010, 2011. Yeah. So yeah, about 10, nine, 10 years ago. Um, and 
the, the second part was I really, I really felt like I had let her down a little bit because do you know the stereotype about Jewish grandmothers? Uh, you know, they, you, you hear, you hear of, of some of them, um, you know, when people make jokes about it and stuff, but not like, I don't know. Well, well, no. So, so the the main the main thing is that they, they Jewish grandmothers are, are kind of naggers, and uh, na, na, just yeah. to make sure I pronounce it, they're they're nag, as in people who nag. Yes, yes, yes. South Park joke. <laughs> this, yep, uh-huh. this this podcast took a really weird turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like we're we're confusing. We're really really. I, I get confused with my. Uh, my racial slurs, but no, no, they, they, they're, pe- they're people who nag and they also, they want all their, uh, their, their, you know, sons and grandchildren to be, to be doctors or lawyers. Right. I, I was, in my experience, that's completely true. Like, they're, they're, so this, this is a really old joke about Jewish grandmothers. Um, if I can remember it, it's, it's the, the first Jewish woman is elected president of the United States of America. And she, she says, uh, to her mom, mom, uh, I, I, you know, I really want you to come to the inauguration. And her mom's like, oh, I don't know. It's so far and there's traffic. I don't <laughs> think I can make it. And she's like, no, you, mom, I'm the president. We're, I'm going to have Air Force One fly and pick you up at a private uh, runway. They're going to fly you down to D.C. There's no problem. She's like, yeah, but the, the cost of staying in D.C. is so expensive. I don't want to pay for a hotel. She's like, mom, I'm the president. We have private guest suites in the White House. You're going to sleep in the bed that diplomats and leaders of foreign countries have slept in. You're going to, you're, there's a whole service staff that'll can get your meals and everything. You don't have to worry about it. So anyhow, so the, the Jewish mom says, oh, okay, fine, dear. I'll go, I'll go to, I'll go to your inauguration thing. And so the, so the mom is sitting there at the inauguration and, uh, you know, her daughter is, is up there uh, you know, uh, you know, hand, hand. Uh, I, I guess do they do hand on the Bible or whatever? She's being sworn in. Uh, you know, taking the vows to protect the country, and you know, this is historic. It's the first woman to to ever be elected president. It's the first Jewish person to ever be elected president. And the, the mom has, has just little tears in her eye, and she leans over to the person sitting next to her and says, "You know." Her brother's a doctor. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, in my experience, that stereotype is completely accurate. My my grandmother really did show uh, a Herculean amount of restraint in terms of the nagging, but I do remember this is this is sort of like towards the end where I don't think she was could quite been she wasn't quite in hospice yet. She she had gone into the hospital. She was, she was really sick. They didn't think she was going to make it. She sort of bounced back, and then she went back to her, her nursing home, and we visited her in the nursing home. And I was, you know, telling her, and she's, she's asked, well, how's, your, how's the career going? And I was like, well, I'm a, I'm a women's lacrosse coach right now. <laughs> and just the look of confusion on her face. And to, to her credit, I mean, she, she lived in um, – she had an apartment in, in Brooklyn, and, you know, she'd, she'd lived there for a long time before moving to this nursing home in, in Chicago. And she'd come to all of my, like, little lacrosse games. And, I, I mean, I never saw anyone look more out of place on the sidelines of, of, like, a youth athletic game than she did. But to her credit, she went to, like, probably, like, dozens, if not hundreds of them. Right. No idea any time what was going on. But the look of, like, confusion on her face when I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a women's lacrosse coach was... was 
uh, a little bit heartbreaking. Where I was like, oh my god! But and I just I just remember asking. She's like, she's like, oh, so is there is there room for advancement in that line of work? <laughs> Can you get a doctorate and in it? I was like. Yeah, yeah, Grandma. Yeah, definitely there is, which like technically was true because at that point uh, I was a stipend assistant, meaning I wasn't even salaried. Like I was working full time, but I was getting paid like $5,000 a year and just hustling with like part time jobs on the side. So like technically what I told her was true, that there was room for advancement. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to fill in the gaps of what that advancement actually means yeah. in reality. Yeah. Let her let her believe that. Oh yeah, he's on he's on the path to do great things in uh, women's lacrosse coaching. Um, and, and so I remember I remember uh, yeah when she when she died I that I had not anticipated feeling like that that chunk of like our family uh, being gone would affect me so much. And I was I was fucked up for like months. Really. Like, just, well, particularly because that really let me look at what I was doing as as a as assistant women's lacrosse coach from a different perspective. And that whole season, the school had been not season the whole school year. The school had kind of been like floating, like, "Oh, we're going to give you a promotion. We might get you this this video gig. We might, you know, things are going to happen for you." And then they just hadn't done it, and I was just like. Fuck this! Like, yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. Um, and then her her dying and and have you know remembering that interaction every time. I mean, I remember thinking multiple times we're getting on a bus going to a game. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, why am I here? Like, I mean, maybe it's not too late. I could I could still go to uh, Lake Erie uh, College of Medicine and become a a, a doctor. I, I I'm still young. I could still do it. I still have my health. Yeah. Um, but that. But that hearing you, you you talk made me really think uh, that I need I need I do need to reach out more to my uncle my uncle in specific. Yeah, um, I have two uncles. My the uncle on my dad's side I really have nothing in common with. Like he's my dad's biological brother, very smart guy, got a perfect score on the math section of his SATs, incredibly successful architect. I mean, like you know he he was the primary architect on you know, huge skyscrapers and things like that. Um, but I, I met the guy and I'm like, your family, I love you. I do not want to hang out with you for more than an hour. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. But my, I've got an uncle on my mom's side who, um, that was when you were talking about like, well, he's my, he's not my biological uncle. I was like, I don't think yeah, that matters. Yeah, yeah. Have I ever told you about my mom's side of the family? The Stewarts? No, I don't know anything about them. Do, do, would you like to? Sure. That that side of the family is is interesting. I mean, if there if there's ever going to be, uh, you know, like a, a book about my family written, I think I think the the heaviest the, the most chapters would be uh, devoted to the chaos that was the Stuart household. Um, so so my, my, mom, my mom's an orphan. Um, her, her mother, her biological mother died of cancer when she was very young. Okay. And then the dad just like fucked off. Huh. Just kind of like abandoned. I, and she had, I think, she had a lot of brothers and sisters. I mean, they, they were... Uh, religious sort of Ohio level, so so they were almost they were almost Mexican level of, uh, of siblings. <laughs> almost, almost. There's, there's some overlaps between 
Midwest religious, you know, religious families and uh, and um, Mexicans. Not so much the cooking, but yeah, I think she had seven brothers and sisters. Okay. Holy shit! And the the dad the dad was you know mom died. The dad's like, yeah, I'm not doing this, and just just left, just abandoned the family. So all the brothers and sisters got scattered to the wind. You know, no one was going to adopt all seven of them. Right. Like and which understandably yeah. that would be a lot to take on. Um, so. You know, some of her brothers uh, and sisters got, um, you know, got, got adopted. At first, her and one of her sisters got lived or got sent to live with Shaker nuns. What the hell um, is a like Shaker the, nun? Like, uh, it's, shakers are just a, a, a really, really like strict branch of Christianity. Okay. Um, let me let me see. Let, let me look it up because. When I was in Ohio, there was a bunch of like Shaker like churches and things like that. I never really uh, let's see Shaker Christian. Let's see if we got a, a little Shakers. Uh, this is Wikipedia. The United Society of Believers in Christ's Second Appearing, more commonly known as the Shakers, are a a oh my God, this is a lot of a millenarian. Non-Trinitarian Restorationist Christian sect founded circa 1747 in England and then organized in the United States in the 1780s. They were initially known as the Shaker Quakers because of their ecstatic behavior during worship services. Uh, espousing egalitarian ideals, women took on spiritual leadership roles. Um, but they're, anyhow, okay. they, they were a very devout uh, branch of Christianity uh, and I, I, from what I gather, I mean, she's never talked at length, but just filling in, kind of reading in between the lines, she was not a fan of being raised by nuns. Right. Um, and I and and then I, I think that was the the sort of the, the seed of her her. I'm trying to think how to put it, like some people are atheists because they're just like, well, I don't really think there's a god. Right. Like, it doesn't make sense, whatever. And then there's some people who are like militant atheists. We're like, there's no fucking god. God's a joke. Like anyone who thinks there's a God is an idiot. Right. My mom would be the latter. <laughs> oh, shit. And I think, I think that that was that seed was probably planted where she's like, I can't stand these people raising her. How, how she, long? How she, long? She, you said it was her and her sister. How long did she live? How long did? <laughs> I think it was only like a year or two. Oh, okay, um, but it was enough to make that then, impact. It, it was enough to make that impact where she was like, "Fuck this shit." I mean, good Lord, like living as an orphan with being raised by nuns. I mean, that's, uh, again, there's some stereotypes about nuns being fucking assholes and, and, you know, corporal punishment and everything like that. Like that, I don't, I think that all comes from somewhere pretty yeah. strict. They're, 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 there's some, they're, you know, there's some Old Testament nuns, like eye for an eye, like uh, sort of punishment. So I, I, I don't know. She's, she, again, she's never talked at, at any sort of um, length about that time of her life. But then I knew she got adopted, uh, I believe, by her her aunt. It was her mother's sister. Uh, and then her mother's sister's husband, who, when I was growing up, that we, I always referred to him as, as Grandpa, Grandpa Lyle. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to think how to how to encapsulate this so apparently her her aunt was actually was like a really great mother okay. very very kind uh person and she was sort of a stabilizing factor 
for for Grandpa Lyle, who um, had a we we have we have dubbed this the Degenerates Clubhouse, okay. um, but his podcast would have been the Degenerates Penthouse. Ah. Like, like he. Trying to think how much family laundry I want to add. Would you out say here. would you say he was like a chauvinist, heavy drinker, womanizer type of like like that kind of a penthouse? Not a heavy drinker, okay. a heavy ice cream eater. Okay, um, that's where that came from with me. He's he's oh, oh, you know, always overweight the whole time I knew him. Um, he was okay. Somebody put it, but his his two best friends. Uh, and this and this was sort of one of the they would they were all all these big like fat old guys, and they would have this contest of who could lose the most weight, and of like of course like so they'd have a weigh in and then they would uh, they would have like a way out and then there was always like like thousands of you know they'd bet like ten ten grand on oh it. shit, because um, they're they all pretty rich. My my grandfather had a uh, had a, a at that time successful publishing company. So he was he was not like you know like super super rich but you know in the, in the millions. Um, yeah, fuck off money. Uh, so for yeah for him it wasn't really drugs or I don't think alcohol it was more like gambling. No. Uh, women were a problem, but a lot of that got reined in when he was married to to Mary Louise, my my, my mom's aunt. Um, but yeah, his his best friends in that bet were one were were uh, Mr. William Gaines, who was the publisher of Mad Magazine. Oh wow! Holy shit! Um, yeah, they, and that—that that, I only met him a couple times. He seemed like a pretty chill dude, though. Like you'd expect. You gotta right? be, He's yeah. Like, if you make Mad Magazine, you gotta be. And then the other best friend uh, <laughs> was a, a guy named Al Goldstein, who was the publisher of a, a Screw magazine, ah. <laughs> which at the time was like it was sort of like Hustler and Screw were like. Yeah. The two like big competitors, obviously Hustler won out. Um, and God, I do remember uh, before. I think Bill Gaines was the only one who died and wasn't in bankruptcy and impoverished. Uh, but I remember before that happened, going to, as a little kid to Al Goldstein's apartment. Um, not apartment. It was it was a, a, a townhouse, and in, in, I think it was in Manhattan. I remember there were three levels. The first level was just filled with all this random shit, like electronics, like toys, like blenders, all in boxes. And you would buy two of everything and you just hoarded it. There was this like narrow quarter through the first floor that you could kind of like walk to to get to the stairs in the second floor. And I remember uh, I'm like walking and there, there's a, do you remember the Lynx entertainment system? It was like a little yeah, like yeah. handheld Game Boy sort of thing. I was like, I was like, wait, why is this in the box? Like, can I play with it? He's like, okay, you can play with it, but you have to bring it back. It was just all the shit. And then, um, and then on the second and third level is where they they, they lived. And I remember they had a, a like a tiny little pot belly pig. That <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it was it was in their apartment. It was, it was in this townhouse, and it just sort of had the run of the second and third floor. I don't remember what they named it, but I remember two things. It was one, they were very, his his wife at the time, uh, who I think divorced him at some point, was very proud because she was showing me her closet where this huge walk-in closet that had at the like all the all of her clothes like like uh, on hangers, and then like kind of at the bottom of the closet there were all these little like 
like way more clothes than I had is like, you know, like a walking human being, but all these little clothes on like little tiny hangers for the pig. What the fuck? Holy shit. Yeah, they would dress it up. Oh no. And like, and there was also just pig shit everywhere. Cause like they hadn't, pigs are really smart. Like you can teach them to like poo in one place or like, but no, they just, it just, this little pig, just, you know, tiny little pig is very, very well dressed. (laughs) Lots of outfits ran through the apartment, shitting everywhere. Um, so that, 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 uh, those, those were, those were my, my, my grandfather's sort of friends. And, uh, I mean, he, and I do remember, this is actually a cool experience. This was when I was older in college. Um, you know, you know, the Friars Club roasts on Comedy Central? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there is an actual real Friars Club in, uh, in New York. Like it's an actual place, like it's a club and, my grandfather was knew, knew that I liked poker, so it might yeah it must have been during college, and he he actually went to a poker game at the Friars Club, where it's like a lot of again like kind of rich, you know, old guys, yeah. and you know they they had like a you know a steak dinner and they played poker, and he he he, he was so like wow oh, look at this isn't this great, and the the. the Thing that he thought was great because they were betting a lot of money. Like, what, what were our games? They were like ten dollars buy-ins. Yeah, when well, we played weekly, it was like ten bucks. We were college students, so we didn't. You know, we're not gonna. So I, I vaguely remember them having like a five thousand dollars buy-in. Oh shit! And my grandfather was like the fucking idiot at the table. Who I, I'm trying to remember who was like that in our games. There's always that one guy who doesn't really know how to play. Mostly Damari. Just, just like Damari. Oh, he was. Yes, Damari just show up to and drink and donate his money. And socialize. That, so, again, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't drink, um, but um, was just throwing out Damari like bets, like just super aggressive. Ah, oh, look how much I won! Yeah. Oh my god, I lost it! And I'm like, and on the whole, the level, the, the, the level of the play just wasn't very high. But he's like, look how much money we were. And I was like, I don't. Oh, so he, so he actually took you to the to the Friars Club. Yeah, okay. yeah, I got to go watch watch a, a game at the Friars Club. Um, but but anyhow. To, to all bring it back to uncles, my my um, bef- before so my my mom's first my, my mom's biological mother died of cancer, and then I guess it was I, wish, I think she was maybe a, t- uh, a teenager early teenager her her adopted mother her aunt also died of cancer oh shit and pri- prior to the aunt dying. The aunt and and my degenerate rich grandpa Lyle had uh, had had a a son, who. So I, I guess he was. I mean, there is some. So what that what, what, so would he would he be my. If if so, I'm trying to figure out the it's it's, it's your, it would be your my step grandpa and your aunt. So it's my mom's. Aunt's son, so that would be her cousin. So what? What? What would he be? Like if, your if second my mom's cousin, cousin. Like your second cousin, I think, or like your cousin but once but, removed, or some nonsense like that. But he's not my cousin because he's my mom's cousin. He's not my cousin. He, that's that, that's why when you're talking about yeah, like yeah, oh yeah. it's kind of tricky. I'm like, dude, you don't even. Yeah, we have that shit. Like, we have that shit in our family too. I just I think we just call him like I think we just call him cousins or second cousins or some shit. Um. But so so anyhow, my, I, when my uh, Mary Louise, my 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 mom's aunt, died, 
my grandfather just completely went off the rails, like gambling, like women, everything like that. Uh, and I guess that didn't didn't have the greatest effect on my uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that probably. Uh, I, I let me put it this way: the one one of the stories I remember hearing about my uncle growing up was when he was a little kid. He he just had like thirty identical outfits of a black turtleneck and jeans. And that was just all he wore. His just closet was like black turtleneck jeans, black turtleneck jeans, black turtleneck jeans. By choice? And he's, yeah, he's, he was like, I was like a weird kid and I don't have anything on my uncle. Wow. <laughs> like, you, um, he was like next level weird. You say, but uh, he's all. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go no, yeah, uh, let me, let me, no, so I say, you, you say, okay, your mom and her, one of her sisters, were taken in by nuns and then went to live with her aunt. Did, just my mom. Just, oh. I don't know what happened to the sister. Gotcha. I think I think the sister. I think the sister stayed with the nun. Oh shit! Until until she she was of age and uh, and and my mom went with um, and and yeah she. What, what ha- she, she she went she went with her aunt and and I I don't I really don't want to get into all of it but I know. That was a, a very tumultuous upbringing there too, because her aunt died, and I know uh, there was one point where my mom had like run away from home. I mean, this is when she was maybe like fifteen. She she'd run away from home in New York. She made it all the way out to California, and she was gonna live as like a nanny with this family in California. Like she negotiated for themselves before they finally tracked her down and brought her back to New York. Oh, so like, does, does, yeah, does like, she know, uh, does she know whatever happened to her other, cause you said there was seven of them. Um, yeah. Does she know what happened to the other five, uh, biological siblings? Yeah. Do you, are you in contact with uh, them at all or no? No. Um, two, two of them live in Colorado and I just have no really? contact with them at all. Strange. Uh, I've met them. I just don't like them. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, but the the one the one there were there was oh my god I don't even know who how I'm related to her I, I had I had an aunt Eileen who I really did like I mean, aunt Eileen was fucking awesome like and she lived in Charlottesville Virginia she'd always have a big family reunion and that side of the family would would come and I you know so I knew some of them through then but I I, I never really had any relationship with that side of the family except for aunt Eileen who was a straight up baller. What? She was a huge Boston Celtics fan. Like very, I mean, I she was old the whole time I knew her, um, and she lived into her late nineties, I think. And the two stories about the Anna and Eileen that I remember, she was like this avid Boston Boston Celtics fan, which was just sort of funny. She loved basketball, loved loved the NBA, and then I think this was when she was like in her eighties. She was pissed off. She was like old lady, old lady stuff. But she was pissed off because. Um, this, the school was like building like a parking lot or something. And all the neighbors thought that, that, uh, that was going to lead to, to people like cutting through like their, their little like cul-de-sac area. And the school's like, well, we're going to build a, a fence. And my Lani, and Eileen was like, like, fuck your, fe-. I don't think she said fuck your fence, but she, she might've. Um, and, uh, and, and. She's like that fence you're building is not high enough. It's six foot. Like I'm 80 and I can get over that. <laughs> and then she, she literally, she like trained for like two months in physical ther- therapy. And then she, she, she got like a reporter to come and she like climbed the fence as like an 80 year old woman. And there's just she's this picture of her, of her in the paper like sitting on top of like <laughs> the uh, this fence with her like her fist clenched like screw you guys. And 
that, that was one memory. And then I remember, she must have been 90, she actually came out to, to, to Denver um, because that's where, where you know, I said they're, they're, they're uh, two of my mom's siblings already lived in Denver and then my mom was out there now. And that's where she kind of retired to. Um, I remember sitting there watching uh, a Lakers game with her and I'd made a comment like, and this is, so this was, this had to be like the Kobe Bryant Lakers yeah. when pa- Pau Gasol was yeah, on yeah. it. And like, she said something like, like, oh, look how great Pau Gasol is. And cause I, cause I think at that point she'd become a Lakers fan. Oh, even though she was a Celtics you know, fan. Wow. She she was like old school. Like she liked the, like the, the Larry Bird, yeah, yeah. Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish uh-huh. Celtics. So she'd kind of moved on to the Lakers and she, she was like, she's like, oh, look how great Paul Gasol is. I was like, and I, I, you know, I was, I was barely even following basketball, but I, I kind of said, I don't know. I hear Paul Gasol is kind of soft, which was a knock on him, yeah, right? Yeah. But like for the rest of the game, she, every time she'd like, he'd grab a rebound and she's like, oh, look at that rebound he grabbed. I guess that's, <laughs> I guess that was a soft rebound, huh? And then he'd like, he'd like hit a, a, a jumper. Oh, look how, look at that soft jumper he fit in someone's face. And I'm like, this is a, I was just like trying not to burst out yeah. laughing the whole time. I'm like, I am getting trash talked by my 90 year old aunt that's right awesome. now. Um, yeah. And she had, um, good Lord. I don't know how she pulled shit like this off. She, I can't remember. It was one of the the Clippers, not Clippers. One of the Nuggets. She'd somehow gotten his cell his cell phone number and had like been like texting with. Oh her. shit! <laughs> and like so, he inv- he invited her to a, a, a. I think it was Nuggets Lakers game as like her personal, um, her you know as like a, you know she had like courtside seats as like wow. his guest, and her favorite color was purple. Which is also it's my favorite color. I didn't know that because I'm colorblind. <laughs> I've only sent. Don't worry. How, how I learned that my favorite color is purple. That's a whole different yeah. story. I, it's I, I'll tell you some other time. But so she she went. She had like her little like wheelie scooter thing, and she was wearing like like head to toe like purple like purple like velour like like uh, like dress with like this big like like fuzzy purple hat. Rolls up to fuck the fucking Denver Nuggets game <laughs> with her little scooter and purple is like, yo, I'm. Oh, I guess I, I wish I could remember who it was. My mom would know, but she's like, yeah, I'm. I'm so and so on the Nuggets private. Yeah, yeah, wearing like, all the Lakers colors. That was just how my my aunt rolled. She was fucking. She was awesome, and Eileen. But getting back to uncles, she she was a family member where I look at. It, I'm like, I. I I, I take inspiration from her. Like I wanna I wanna emulate some of the way she she lived her life. Uh, and then my my uncle my uncle Rory, my my mom's brother by weird circuitous family path. But uh, you know who she grew up as his brother. Like he definitely had a rough time and was a weird kid. But like he 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 has also found his path. Um, like you, he he has a love of the guitar. But I think he he took it a step farther. Uh-huh. Um, so he, he became, uh, uh, in that circle, a pretty well-known jazz guitarist. Oh, cool. Um, which is, I, jazz guitar apparently is incredibly difficult. Um, and then he also, I, I don't, this, sto- this story, this is a sort of like a family legend that my grandfather would tell, and I think he was full of shit. But um, the story was that like he, my, 
can't even remember if my uncle went to college or not, but he somehow, you know, he'd been like just sort of like a guitar bum, like he was, you know, going to gigs with his, his uh, friends and stuff like that. But he'd somehow gotten an, an interview with this 9X company that was doing virtual reality, like, like way like at the very beginning of virtual reality. And my grandfather got him an interview with the company and he had no, my uncle had no background or whatever, but he, he's incredibly smart. Um, like I, you know, probably the smartest person in my family, which I've got, I've got some intelligent family members. So that, and according to my grandfather, like he just went, bought a bunch of books on virtual reality systems, like just locked himself in his room for two weeks. And then, you know, impressed the guy in the interview so much that they hired him and he just built this huge nest egg working for, for, for nine X where, and then when he got to the point where his like stock portfolio hit it, hit $2 million, he's like, all right, fuck all this. I'm done. I retire. Yeah. He's very, very frugal. He never spends money on anything. Um, and so now he's just a, a, a he was, you know, a full-time jazz guitarist and he teaches m- music theory at the new school, which is a college in Manhattan. Um, and he plays gigs, teaches music. Um, you know, he was, you know, you know, ah, God, there's a musical group called Peter, Paul and Mary. They're like, kind of like 60s folk. Um, he's friends with them. So he's, you know, gone on, gone on tour with them just to, to, to tag along and, and play with them. And, And like, out of, out of all my family members, like he's the one I kind of relate to the most. Cause I'm like, dude, all the like weird stuff that I do, like he's done and he's done it better and he's just made it work. Um, except he, well, he's not, Oh, you know what? I take that back. I was going to say, except he's still single, but he's, but you know what? He's, he's not. Um, uh, he, he did, he did have a wife and that did not work out because he's even like less, (laughs) all, all, all the, all the strides that I made understanding women and being able to talk to women and everything like, he he never went through yeah. that. He was he. I remember I remember watching him play a gig in in uh, like a small venue in in New York, and like this woman going up to him afterwards, like trying to talk to him, and you could just see like she was like so enamored with him, like completely hitting on him, and my uncle just oblivious, just like oh yeah yeah okay that's cool, He's just yeah. like answering everything matter of fact. I'm like dude, oh my god, Uncle Rory. Yeah. But you know what? I take it back. The last time I saw him. In Denver, he did have a girlfriend, and she was smoking hot. <laughs> I mean, older older women. She was like late forties, maybe fifties, but still really yeah. high. I was like, "Good for you, Uncle Rory." I don't know if this is gonna last, but like, you do yeah, you, man. It's, it's, it seems to be working for you. Take advantage of it, man. I take advantage of that, but that jazz guitar lifestyle shit. That's on. Uh, that's on my list. I mean, well, so yeah, he's got, he's got a really nice house outside of New York. Um, the one time I visited him there, he still did not have, he'd been living there for a year. He did not have furniture and had not even bought like window dressings. Like he didn't have blinds. Huh. He'd literally bought the house and he had like a bed and like, like kitchen stuff. And I think there might've been one chair and that was it. <laughs> and I don't think he'd unpacked a lot of the boxes yet, but he's like, he's like, pretty, he's like very financially stable and has like a really, really nice house in an expensive area in New York, you know, where you can walk down the street and catch a train into Manhattan, which is why he bought that house. And he's a jazz guitarist. So like, he's doing all right for himself, even though, uh, uh, I probably could, could teach him. I probably could teach him a lot about, 
social interactions between <laughs> men and women. And, was, and, the, and the weird part, you know what? I'm, I'm recalling, like, before I left coaching from, from Stroudsburg, I did go and visit him. And I'm having all these health problems. And I was talking to him about some of the health problems he had. And I remember, though, he kept wanting to know about women's lacrosse. And at the time, I'm like, ah, he's just doing this to humor me. Like, like he's got he's got all this stuff. He, there's no way he could possibly care about being a women's lacrosse coach. And now I'm like, you know what? He might have been legitimately curious. Yeah. Like, like, wait, this is all new to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't have but anyone... It's on my it's on my bucket list. There's, it's not even bucket list. I have this whole list of things to do when I am healthy again. That you know, like I want to go take trips. I want to go go places. I want to, and like one of them is to just just find out sometime where I, where like him and I could like actually like hang out for more than just like a, a few hours because that's that's the most I've ever known him. It's been you know for. Uh, you know, a family gathering or, or things like that here or there. There's uh there's absolutely no one, you know, success is a, um, is a, is a relative thing. So I don't want to like, I don't want to yeah. put anybody down on my, on my family. Yeah. Um, but like over here, uh, the Ramirez, or not just Ramirez, but like the, like my, my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family, all of my aunts, uncles, again, it's all relative, but there's nobody successful quote-unquote successful like they all they all got good jobs good careers they've been with their companies for however long they've been there but there's like no one really like like for me to to like there's no aunt or uncle i could look at and be like oh man they they did really well for themselves i i kind of want to follow along their footsteps or or take after them you know there's there's nobody uh on my side of the family that that i can because you've got these cool stories about cool aunts and uncles and eccentric aunts and uncles and shit, and I don't have any anything like that. Um, for the most part, like uh, like my folks, you know, they're immigrants. You know, my 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 mom and dad immigrants from Mexico. My dad born in TJ, came out here. My mom born in Ensenada, came here. I'm first generation, so you know we're it. We're we're like I'm. Unfortunately, I'm the one. Uh, trying to create the path for everybody that follows me but i'm <laughs> i'm not doing a very good job of it you know <laughs> unemployed still looking for work motherfuckers hire me uh but yeah uh you know it'd be cool to do to do something and who, who doesn't want to do something cool with their life something more they could say like i've lived here i've done that um yeah a lot of that a lot of that shit falls on on our shoulders to uh, to go our own way, I guess, pave our own path. I think I think that was some some levity, and I'm sure they got to put this. I mean, as far as far as that goes, it's like I definitely um, I definitely wish that I was farther along in life than I am. But like you said, success is relative, and it's going to be different things for different yeah. people. And one of the things I'm realizing is like I have had a lot of like I don't know if cool is the right word, but st- strange and unique experiences. Um, Cause it, it's funny. I mean, when we started this podcast, I was thinking like, wow, I only have like probably like four or five really good stories to tell. And then you know, if, if I'm out of those stories, then like you know. What do we do? So I can't get too much into personal stuff. And now I'm realizing, I'm like, oh, we haven't even... Yeah. 
every time I think I'm out of stories and something else comes up, I'm like, wow, there's other crazy fucking thing happened and, and things we're not even scratching they're, on. They're unique. And that yeah, gives me unique to you. They're hope. unique to you, unique to me. We, we, you know, I've got my share of experiences too. And, and, and they, and they may seem, uh, again, uh, 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 interest is also relative. Like some people might be interested in it. Some people might be like, ah, eh, it's kind of dumb, but I'm, I'm always like I I don't know anything about your and this will be on another podcast. I don't know anything about your time in Germany and that you know I know a little bit that you've said here and there but there's there's things for sure that are like your they're your thumbprint or your fingerprint, you know what I mean? They're mm. that you've done that you're like eh but they're 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 still interesting, you know. Um well and and one of the I mean I I always for some reason I always think of writers when I'm like well it's not too late to to take a big step forward. I mean, the one that people always talk about is uh, J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Um, she was older than us, like just complete failure. I think she was living on social services. And then she writes Harry Potter, becomes like the best-selling author in history. I mean, incredibly successful in terms of um, being, you know, in, in terms of an author, you know, she super rich, everything like that. But then the, the other the other guy that I, I think of a lot I don't know if you're familiar with him is, is David Sedaris. No. Um, Kev, Kevin Al is actually the one that that got me to read him at first, and he he is uh, a an author of, of humorous essays, um, and I think they're all real and factual. I mean, D- David Sedaris is way more of just like a. I don't know how to put it. I don't know what to call him. I was going to say a madman than I am, but he's not. He, he's, he's just a very sort of strange uh, and, and eccentric individual where um, he'll, he'll just go into a situation and that situation is going to become a David Sedaris situation. He, he, he's sort of a, a very bubbly um, uh, uh social like a uh, gay fellow huh. and he's just he just had all these really funny stories and weird things and he had so many sort of odd jobs and then he you know he started writing these collection of essays just about his life and uh they're just freaking hilarious and they're so funny and you know he's become very successful he he sells really well he'll go on tours and just just hearing him read them he'll you know he'll every time he he has a new a new collection come out. He'll go out and he'll tour and read the essays, and it's like people are you know are, they're like selling out theaters to hear him read them. And I was like, you know, part of it is him just just going out there, being David Sedaris in the world, and having all these stories to, to yeah. tell. Um, and I think that even even if you're not going to write a collection of essays, I think. Having a lot of experiences and doing a lot of things, even if they seem weird or inconsequential, it adds to who you are as a person. Yeah, I think I think that's one way you can, you you it's one way you can measure success is, you know, figuring out a way to 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 make ends meet, doing something that you can actually be passionate and fall in love with. Because there's a lot of us that fall, a lot of us, a majority of us, I dare say, that fall into the trap of like doing something because we have to do it to to make ends meet to pay the bills. Um, and, and, uh, and then, and yeah, the majority of people get, get that way and get stuck in that, in that quicksand. And, and that's, you know, that's how they live every day of their life until they die. They just do the same 
whatever job that that they uh, that they that they get handed. Um, there is a lot of nepotism. There is a lot of politics, especially in corporate uh, America. Um, hiring people that 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 probably aren't the best at what they do, but they know somebody that knows somebody knows somebody that got them the job, and then they end up just showing up, punching in, doing their job, not really being in love with what they do. Um, I think I think one way to measure, measure success is find something that you can be like, oh, dude, I really like doing this, and then being able to express your passion about what you do and then like really be really good at it i was looking you know you sent me that link about all the remote jobs i was this morning and i have been mm-hmm. that list is long it's huge it's probably thousands and thousands of, of of job openings right i've been looking at a few of them um not necessarily because they're remote i i i don't care if they're remote if they're remote great whatever i i i don't mind brick and mortar being somewhere to reporting in i don't i don't it doesn't matter to me but um, I've been looking at a lot of those jobs, and some of these like B two B like especially like uh, like remote jobs are very um, they're younger companies, and there a lot of them are driven by people that are passionate about new ideas, um, being able to ex- express your creativity. Um, you know, especially for a company, it's only five, ten years old. Like you, 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 you thrive on new ideas. You, 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 you grow from someone bringing a fucking out of the box, whatever. Hey, let's try this out. You know, the last I, I haven't worked for a single company that has allowed. Like, if I express an idea, an opinion, hey, we should try it this way, and it might do. You know, every single company that I've worked for is like, no. <laughs> this is how we do it. This is how we've been doing it. Or if they're a private mm-hmm. owner, this is my this is how I want to do it. It's my way or the highway. Sorry, this is how we're gonna do it. This is how we're gonna proceed. Sorry, I like that you're you know enthusiastic. You got these ideas of trying new things, new ways to grow the business. But we're gonna keep doing this way. And and I, I hate that a lot of us fall into working for companies doing that. Um, so yeah, being a jazz musician or making making money for uh you know, for a, a virtual reality company, doing it long enough just to be like, hey, I made the money, fuck the world, I'm done, peace out, I'm gonna do what I love to do, like that's fucking success. Like I, I not I, I yeah. want to be able to do something. I think a lot of us want to be able to do something like that. Um, it's and it's never too late. Uh, I don't know what that is. There's I, I there are a lot of things I am passionate about. There's a lot of things I do love. It's just figuring out a way to connect the dots, like figuring out a way to get, I guess, financially successful enough where I can do something that I love to do, enjoy doing, and connecting those two things, and then having somebody pay me for that shit. Well, that's that's the problem I always yeah. run into is monetizing things because I, I just I'm just not wired to think like that. I, I I like I like making things. I like creating things. But I'm never thinking in terms of, well, how do I create this thing and then that gets me money? Because yeah. I've had a bunch of opportunities. I mean, when I was make, doing YouTube, that would have been a, a very viable avenue. But I wasn't thinking, well, how do I monetize what I'm doing? Oh, I've got this audience base. How do yeah. I, how do I turn that into to money? And one one of the clearest ones. This would actually be, I think, like a really good example along the lines you're talking about. I don't, I don't know if I told you the very first job I had out of college was um, 
the, the, like as an administrator isn't really exactly the right word. Uh, it, they called it like a help center aid. Um, the the two the, there were two high schools in the school district where I grew up, um, and they had these like tutoring centers where. You know, if you had to make up a test, you might get sent there and be proctored. You could, you know, maybe if you had a free period, you could go in and just study. And there would be um, usually teachers who had free periods would also get assigned during different points of the day to be in the help center. So if you needed uh, to get tutored in, in math, there were, you could see when there was a math teacher there and you could go get get one on one tutoring. I mean, really, really great research for, for the students. Um, and but there was one. One sort of help center, help center administrator, that's what they called it, made it sound fancy. Um, and you, you just had to make sure that all the, the teachers' scheduling lined up, um, that you had good coverage. You, you had to uh, make, you know, when, when students were sent from by other teachers, you had to make sure that they signed in and they were accounted for and stuff like that. And it really wasn't that complicated. Once you got the basic like workings, like I, I mean, I figured out in like two weeks how to get all the teachers scheduled like quickly. Like that would take me usually about two hours to do, for, and then there'd be the whole rest of the week. And then I started creating other jobs for myself because I was so bored just sitting yeah. there in the the help center. Um, I you know I'd figured out that. The, the, there, there was tech support that the school had hired, but they, I don't know what they were doing or where they were, but teachers always had trouble getting them to come set up audiovisual equipment or like troubleshoot their laptops or things like that. And so I just started telling teachers that, oh, I, I can do that for you. So they would call me and I would just go. Yeah. And, and so I was just basically doing a whole other job. But the one, the one I would get, I got so annoyed that I so much of my job kept revolving around making sure that kids signed in the help center. You know, a teacher would send them, the kid would come, they would sign in, the teacher would call me, oh, is so-and-so there? Oh, yes, yeah, so-and-so's there. Like, and I was like, I just don't care about this. This is so freaking yeah. annoying. You know, I was trying to work on other things. And I, and I was like, you know what? This is such an inefficient way to do it. Like, one, they're just signing into a physical book. Like, I can barely read half of their signatures um, it's, it's not very accessible to, to the, to the, uh, you know, the, the staff at large and it, it just, there's just not a great like record of, of what's going on. Let me, let me get this all online. And so this is, this is 2005 and, and I'm looking, I'm like, is there, I want something where a kid can come and sign in digitally, either on the computer, maybe we get to the point where they can use their student ID to just like scan and it signs them in. And then there's there's going to be like a list that will, will, will publish to a database that anybody on the school server, any teacher on the school servers can just check and see within like a minute who's in the help center. And then the other part, which will be really good, we can see how often a student has actually been going. Like, you know, if a kid's really struggling in a class, but it's like, look, they come in yeah. five times for math help. Like that, that you know, got to count for something. That's good, good to at least know. And then on the flip side, we could also see how often certain teachers are being requested. Uh, that that was definitely something that that the yeah, the teachers didn't like because they, they all liked their time yeah. in the help center, and they were like, "Oh fuck, we don't want anyone actually being able to track." <laughs> if, if, if we actually, if we have to do something, we I just want to be able to chill and grade papers and stuff. 
Um, but anyhow, I was like, fuck, like something like that has to exist. And I was looking, I was like scouring the, you know, the internet. I'm like, no, no one's made anything like this. So I, I just designed broad concept what I wanted. I was sort of like the, the Steve Jobs of it. And then, um, you know, I was, call, I was calling software companies. Can you make something like this? Cool. Could we tweak, tweak, um, you know, this existing software to like fulfill this? And there's just, just nothing. Nobody had it. And then one of the physics teachers who had, I guess, had been a former programmer heard, heard me on the phone. He's like, well, what are you doing? And I explained it to him. And he gets really interested. So then he, he ends up building all the co- – like doing all the coding. I designed like the front end. You know, you know what that – like so it's just like yeah. all the graphical yeah, yeah. parts of it. Like what the login looks like. Like how – what you see when there's the drop-down menu, all that. And we just fucking build this yeah. software. And – Never, and, and, and and we got it up and running. You know, we I, I sitting there making calls like, to, to the, uh, the the like the head tech for the whole school district, being like, "Well, we need server space. We have this system. We want to test it." Blah blah. And and just hearing you talk, I was like, "Man, I guess I really was lucky. Like, it was a public school, but they were forward thinking enough to like let me do all this shit. I'm yeah. doing this all on school time when I'm supposed to be like the help center right. administrator, <laughs> and we actually get it." up and running and it works it was up there and and like we had this running computerized system and i didn't realize how proud like the print it was just this big feather in the principal and and the vice principal's cap they're like look what our our school our school yeah. built this well here's the deal is um, like well for one you didn't get you didn't get any additional compensation for coming up with this which no. is <laughs> shitty right um well, I never thought like, hey, let's actually like develop this and monetize it. Like, we could have sold that to a software right. company and then take, taking it to other, like, no. taking it to other schools, <laughs> taking it across the the nation. The, and here's the problem with uh, the corporate organizations: is like, let's say you have a brilliant idea like that, right? Yeah, you do something like that, you implement something like that, or try to implement something like that. You're gonna get number one. You're gonna get a lot of slack. Like, people aren't gonna be welcome to those new ideas like people don't want to hear your your new ideas at all unless they can get credit for it themselves right like if like if i can steal aaron jaffe's idea and get myself recognition for it then let's do it let's go for it which is the shitty thing about the corporate ladder um and number two let's say i came up with something like that that worked in a real world application uh yeah figuring out a way how to get that compensation like it let's say i let's say i'm a salaried employee and I got this brilliant idea. I come up with a new app that will help my organization work better. I I present it to the fucking CEO of the company, vice president, whoever, all the whatever. They like it. I want to sell that idea to them. They ain't going to pay me shit for it. They're going to think like, oh, that's part of your job. Like they're going to want you to do that. For, they're going to want to mm-hmm. take take credit without giving you compensation for it. There, there have yeah. been some small ideas that I've run across some of the bigger higher ups in the organizations I've worked for. And again, it's like, they don't want to hear it, man. They don't, they don't, they're like, you're going to do it for free or you're not going to do it at all. Or that's just it. Or, or no, we're doing it this way. And that's just how it goes. That's the tricky part. You gotta, you have to be able to go into business for yourself. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, even, even, even if I had been working, at a software company and I, I designed that and it was like wildly successful. It, 
it uh, gets picked up by like every school. Well, first of all, there's not that many schools that have a room mm-hmm. like that. That's always one of the things I didn't. I, part of the reason probably that software didn't exist. I mean, it, it was a very, very well-funded um, public school system, and the fact that we had a full-time position that was just this, you know, that where, where I was was it was just this uh, this tutoring room. Like most schools, just yeah. don't have that, so you, they don't need that software because that that sort of room, like a, a help center, doesn't exist. Um, but, let's, but even let's say that that had become a successful piece of software, it, it filled this niche that didn't exist. You know, they, they made you know a couple million dollars extra. Maybe I would see a small bump in pay, and I would get to keep my job as this software dev. But like, the only way you really get to see the fruits of your labors if you're in business yeah. yourself and then you got to do all this other stuff it's, you have to make it and you have to market it and you have to get out there and you have to go close sales deals and I, I just I did I, I realized one of my biggest weaknesses is if I'm not really interested interested in something I, I just cannot force yeah, myself to work same. hard at it if, if if I'm interested and engaged I, I'm gonna be the hardest worker that you've ever met and and when I'm not it's just like it's just like pulling teeth and my performance is terrible so it's, it's tough that's why I've always pursued things here's I'm where here's in. where I'm uh and that's where like I I'm like you in that if I'm not interested fuck it I whatever it doesn't get any of my my time my, my mind space but in what I'm unlike you is that I am able to follow through with some of that business stuff and the sales stuff, the marketing stuff. I'll give you an example. One of our brothers, Greg Davison. By the way, Greg listens to our podcast. He, he I talked to him yesterday or the day before briefly. And he was giving me some uh, pointers on the podcast and that kind of deal. And So thanks for listening, Greg. Appreciate it. Also, what were the pointers? I'll tell you off air. Some, some other stuff. Okay. But not, nothing nothing major, nothing dramatic. He was actually, he was, he was very complimentary of you in a, in a lot of, I'll, I'll, again, we'll talk about it off air. Um, another Lancer brother that listens to us or has listened to us and just told me about it recently, one of your pledge brothers, Hamilton Serna. Thanks for listening, man. We appreciate it. It's kind of cool to know that some of our brothers are at least tuning in, giving us some feedback here. That um, is cool. Shout out to but, Hamilton. But anyway, so what I was going with this is uh, Greg Davison, at one point, he had a, a brewery. Uh, were you aware he had a brewery in San Diego? Yeah, I was not. So Greg, Greg and his dad had a business venture for about eight, nine, ten years. I'd say maybe maybe longer. Oh, Ooh, can, can I can, I, can yeah. I add one thing? That was that was one of the early jokes that I came up with when I was trying to write like like okay. short jokes. My joke was I, I think brewery is a perfect word. Because you can't say it without sounding at least a little Bre- drunk. Brewery, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brewery. So, brewery. So Greg- brewery. And that was when the bartender cut me off. <laughs> Greg-, Greg and his dad, shout out to John Davison. Um, they uh, they opened up a little microbrewery in Carlsbad called, uh, I don't remember if it was Off the Tracks Brewery or On the, I think it was called On the Tracks Brewery. Brewery. <laughs> Was it next to a railroad? It was. It was. Uh, actually, the, the, the microbrewery itself wasn't, but where Greg's home is now, like where Greg's house is, where he lives, it's literally like the other side of a... Like, you'll hear the fucking Amtrak train go off 
all the time. And there is some history to it too. Like he he tells the history of the name a lot better than I do. I feel like that's a dicey location for a brewery. <laughs> no, no, no. His his brewery is actually a little more like a little industrial park off off the path, off the train tracks. It wasn't like right next to the train tracks. Um, let's let's get someone really really fucked up drunk. Yeah, and then go look at trains. Oh no! But, oh, so Greg and I have I have there have been some like brotherhood weekends where I go hang out with him and I crash out in his in his, his big house and we'll go on a drunken crawl to like downtown Carlsbad get drunk at some local but and we'll walk along the train tracks it's not like right on the train tracks. anyway another tangent but Greg and his dad had a microbrewery for 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 years I don't know how long they had it for a while um, and Greg obviously was the, the, the head brewmaster um, Kazmir Kaniski Kisinski another one of our brothers was actually one of his employees for a while I don't think he got paid but he got to live in Greg's house for free <laughs> And drink all the beer you want for free, and you know, and Greg. Well, oh, so so he he didn't get paid money, but he he got paid in other. Yeah, riches. yeah, yeah. So he had this brewery for a long time. Um, they had some. He, he had, what did he have? Brewery. A brewery. Bre- yeah, they had it for a while, <laughs> and and there was some really there was a couple two three, really good beers, um, and there was a a, a couple where there were swings and misses and he would kind of like variate and try different things. And he was really good at, Grego was really good at that. Him and his dad, really good at the brewing, brew, brew, <laughs> at the brewing, brewing, um, part of the, the, the brewery. What I thought were inefficiencies. Mondo, say it with me. Brewing. brewing. What I thought were inefficiencies in that business was that they, I don't think either of them had the mind for the business side of maintaining and making that mm. brewery successful. Um, I think that's, you know, they had some other friends that kind of took too much advantage, took advantage of the fact, like, like if you owned a brewery and I showed up every weekend and I drank your beer for free every weekend that's an expense that you can, as a small business, you can't afford. Yes, they're your friends, but there were some people that kind of took advantage of that. They were kind of milking the fact that, that I got a friend that owns a brewery. I'm going to drink all this beer. I was not one of them. Um, I think like the three, four, five times I went to his brewery, brewery, I would make sure I would buy the beers and or tip gent- like heavily generously. Like if I got two beers from Grego, even though they were on the house, he wouldn't charge me for them. I'd be like, here's a $25 tip or whatever it was. Like I, I did, this is my friend's business. I'm not going to do that to him. There were other friends of ours in our circle that did not think the same way and that were kind of, anyway, I think those little things led to not running it as a successful business. Um, and that's where I would have come in had I, you know, decided to say, hey, Grego, I'm gonna live with you and and be your business manager for a while. You're not gonna pay me dick. Like, I don't know if I could do it, but I I probably could have helped with that part of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, so so I understand you're you're the um, you're sort of the business minded one of the two of us. But I, let me just give you a, a small piece of advice as you're <laughs> pursuing these jobs. If there's any one of the jobs that's going to pay you a dick, do not take it. Insist on U.S. dollars. Right. Yes. Uh huh. It's. It might be. You know. They might be like, "Wow, this is." It's like. It's very like big dick. Like it. You know. It. 
it's especially girthy, and you're like, no, I just want, I always want yeah, money. I want American dollars. I gotta pay rent. Um, well, yeah, that that's that's an example of of how, you know, I've I've seen things get mismanaged or whatever, and uh, but it, whatever, it is what it is. Um, it was Grego had a good run. That brewery had a good run. Oh, where what what started me talking about Grego's brewery was, um. Grego, again, Grego's really good about making beer, but he's not so good about yes. about selling it, being a salesman himself. Yeah. Um, he invited me to... He, he's an artist. He's a beer yeah, artist. He, he invited me to help him on two such occasions where there would be, there like, there's, like, beer conventions where, like, they're, like, like open-air places. You got to buy a ticket yeah. to go in, but once you buy a ticket, mm-hmm. you get to drink all the beer you want. You get to try out, sample all these little beers and from all these different microbreweries all over San Diego. And not, San Diego is one of the world's biggest microbrewery concentration there is. Um, so on two occasions, he invited me, hey, Armando, can you, can you come help me? We basically got to set up these tables and pour beer for people. Can you do that? Can, I was like, fuck yeah. Um, dude, I did such a g- good job like promoting his brew. Like, it, was, it was cool for me because here you got people coming to you asking you for beer so i didn't really have to sell shit they're coming to me all i did was talk up and promote the beer and how you know this beer has this taste or whatever i'd make shit up and people would be like oh yeah you're right this is oh dude women were like oh i want to talk to you like you know like girls want to talk to me because i was like i i it looked like i knew what i was talking about um Mm -hmm. which was something that that greg grego did not have apparently like He'd be standing right next to me, and I'd be like, Grego, talk more about your beer. This girl wants to talk. And he just didn't, like, he didn't have the words to um, to sell it, to sell his beer. But uh, I did, man. I was so good at it. It's it's tricky. And, and that's the thing. That sort of stuff sounds like it is interesting to you, where to me and Greg, it just isn't. And so we focus on the creative part. And... And I always wonder if there's a way to bridge that gap. Because mm-hmm. I, I know when I when I was a lacrosse coach, when I started, uh, I just wanted to coach. Like, the games, like, winning, losing, like, that was the interesting part. And, like, re- recruiting and especially fundraising was of no interest to right. me. Like, I, like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this shit. Like, I just want to coach. Like, I didn't come here because I want to be sales. Like, recruiting really is sales. Yeah. You're just like a... a uh, Pitch man. Well, you're you're like you're like one of the like the um, admissions counselors, but just with more, a little few more tools in your tool you know tool pouch. And I I got to the point where I actually enjoyed recruiting. Like it was fun. Like I'm you know you'd go to these tournaments in weird places. You're trying to find a diamond in the rough. Oh, you see a kid, you get excited. Like wow, they would fit so well in my team. You're, you know, I I start coming up with all these scenarios. Well, this is how I'm going to pitch this kid. Let me let me figure out potential scenarios of of how they'd fit in and. At the end of the day, the trick, and it was sort of, maybe a game isn't isn't uh, the right way to describe it, but like the strategy I had is I need to figure out the thing about this kid that's really special. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be on the field. Sometimes it was. So for some kids, it wasn't. Maybe it was something about their personality, something that they liked. Sometimes it was how they played. And I got to figure out what that thing is, make sure that they know that I realize that that's special about them and that I'm really, really excited about that. And then 
draw an emotional connection for them between that thing and our team and our school. And it was different every time. And like trying to figure that out was actually really fun for me. And it just, it just led this like, it had this feeling for me, especially again in the beginning of that process of going out to these tournaments, like some, you know, remote places where I felt like I was like a adventurer, like going on like a like an archaeological dig to find hidden treasure and f- fucking watching girls playing lacrosse. But like it had that like feeling of like adventure to me, which is weird. And I, I think I, I somehow mind tricked myself into to feeling like that. I'm like, God, if I could just do that with making money somehow, that would be great. All that is to say, Mondo, um, you have some very, very good talents that not a lot of people have. You are really good at that stuff. You you walked into a situation in your story where you didn't have experience and you were immediately successful. And again, I just, I just, I'll keep, I'll keep hitting on this one. Like, do not, sell yourself short and there there are still great things ahead of you um, you just have to believe that they are going to happen and put yourself in the situation where they can happen yeah i i uh again i acknowledge that um because i do have hold myself in high regard for sure i, I i'm, the, I'm the, the hardest on myself that uh, even more more so than like family friend pressure like i am i i am hard on myself but i'll tell you this I don't sell myself short be, in, because I'm saying that I've worked for – I have worked for companies that don't find value in, in me. Like I, I don't want to – I don't want a job where I just clock in, clock out, make money, work there for three, four, five years, and then peace out. Like I want to find – I want to find home. That's always been my goal since leaving college was to find home, to find an organization. Maybe it's my, maybe it's starting my own business. I don't know. but I, I really don't know yet. But – Obviously, my goal is to find home, whatever that is, be financially successful and be passionate about what I do. That's that's what I that's what I want to do. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm still it still hasn't happened, you know, um, but I'm optimistic in 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 the sense that I like I think it will happen. I think, uh, you know, there's companies out there that just need to see that potential and let 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 it happen. Let it flower. Let it bloom. Uh, as opposed to like imposing restrictions on what what I can and can I had one boss <laughs> I had one boss uh 20 years ago I don't know, maybe that um karma is a bitch he had the nerve to tell me I forget what exactly it was what the scenario was but he's like there's no way you can do that there's no way like I I tried doing it and you couldn't do it Blah 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 blah, Mister fucking cocky asshole. And I was like, oh, okay, that that right there lit enough of a fire in my ass to where I proved that guy wrong. With by the end of the week, I was like, here, bitch, here's egg in your face. You told me I couldn't do it. Here mm-hmm. you go. Fuck you. Bosses don't like it when you do yeah, that. Yeah, bosses don't like it when you do that. I got, <laughs> I, I think I got, I didn't get written up immediately. I got written up like a year later for some other minor stupid infraction thing. Um, but uh, yeah, bosses don't like it when you, uh, when you tell them they're wrong. So um, th- this is another, I was, that is a reoccurring theme in my, my potential hour of standup. Um 
and I was trying to think how to explain it, and it's basically the the way the way I was I was, I was thinking about framing that problem that I have is, uh, yeah, I, obviously like I was a good athlete, but you know I was, I was fast and pretty strong, but you know I'm not like superhuman strong. Um, I, you know I think I'm smart, but I'm not like like. Uh, you know, Professor Xavier, like level genius or anything. But if I did have one superpower, it would be when I meet someone who is very dumb and insecure, whether I mean to or not, I almost immediately remind them like painfully that they're very dumb and insecure. <laughs> and like, that has been a problem that's plagued me a lot. And and here's the thing, because I, I, I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what, if, if I was... An Avenger, it, the, the whole uh, Infinity War thing would have been over in like five minutes because they would have been like sitting there like, okay, well, we're going to go forge an axe from a dying star and then we'll hit, hit chop Thanos' head off and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, guys, just pump the brakes. Don't let, let me just talk to him real quick. And and then I would just go over there and, and Thanos would be like, oh, I'm Thanos. I'm inevitable, whatever. And I'd be like, that's great, Thanos. Um, but... Do you have any idea how like basic evolution works? Like your what's your your plan is you're gonna like kill half the life in the galaxy? Like you realize like the human population on Earth doubled since like 1977. Like so, are we just gonna repeat this movie every like 30 years? I mean, I, don't get me wrong, Disney would love that if they could <laughs> get a new, you know, Infinity Wars check every 30 years, but like. This is the dumbest plan ever. Like you haven't fixed any of of the causes that lead to overpopulation. You're just killing half the population and it's going to come right back even faster. Like we've got vaccines and drugs and everything. Like we're going to have the same problem in five years again, you moron. So here's the thing. First, what I want you to do, we're going to get you enrolled in a junior college biology class. (laughs) You're going to take that. And then you're going to get back to me with this whole, like, infinity gauntlet thing. And we'll take it from there. Like, do we have, do we have a deal, Thanos? And, yeah, I mean, then he'd probably, like, take his giant, like, gauntlet and, like, crush me to the ground. But I don't think he would have done his, his killing half the planet. And I would have saved the world and been a hero. That's, that's my superpower. And it's come up a lot. It's been a problem for me with bosses because sometimes I don't even mean to. And, like, I have a five-minute conversation with them, and they're furious with me because I remind them that they're fucking morons. Yeah. But I think you're right most of the time. That you think people are morons, it's probably because they're morons. It's just... Yeah. Being able to uh, let them down down gently is probably not um, one of your strengths. But that's okay. Oh, I got, I've gotten better at it. Like, I, once I realized that that was a, a, a actual weakness... Yeah. I'm like, yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter if they're wrong and I'm right. Sometimes it's better to to let let them be wrong and let them step in it and preserve a relationship, you know, not not generate hard feelings, whatever. Um but to to bring to to, to bring this whole thing full circle a little bit, um I feel like all those experiences have been really invaluable to me. Uh, I think I've definitely grown a lot of, as a person. Um, don't get me wrong. I think it's a continual process. But I firmly believe personally that it's for me, it's just a matter of finding that right niche because 
even though I, I don't look, obviously I, I have not had like traditional success. Like, you know, every, every weird venture I've gone into, there's been some crazy sort of success stories where when I look back, I'm like, good Lord, like I had this weird YouTube career and sort of the, the end, end of that was I had a meeting with the head of Sirius Satellite Radio and the pre, the CEO of Miramax Studios because I got brought in to pitch them on an, an investment deal. Like, that's actually kind of fucking crazy. I didn't even... That's a whole separate story. But anyhow, um, I just need to find that one right thing. And once I do that, when I find that thing that I'm, I'm, I am really passionate about and, and I am also passionate about how it makes me money, like, it's, it's, it's going to be great. Like, I'll, I'll do really well. And the one hurdle for me... Uh, in all that is like, I just have to get healthy. Like I can't, that it's just a constant impediment of, of anything I want to do. I mean, whether it's something for a career or just, you know, we were talking about earlier, like I hold these like, well, once I'm healthy, I want to spend time with my uncle. Once I'm healthy, I want to go on one of these uh, trips that I see on Kevin Now's Instagram with yeah, Kevin. Yeah, what and, the like, fuck? Really catch up. That's, what, that's a question I got. Maybe you know the answer. How the fuck does that guy... How is he able to travel as often as he as he does, eat as well as he does? Like, what the fuck does he do for a job? Like, I don't understand. I'll, okay, hold on. He, he, Before you answer that question, I can sort of sure you. you can answer it in a second. But I so shout out to Kevin. Now he get, he was able to get me my first job out of college. It wasn't a great job, but it paid the bills. It allowed us to have that um, that house, the Lancer house, the first one. Yeah. So thanks to Kevin. Now. But I remember him giving me, and it wasn't really advice that he was giving me. It was more kind of his, <laughs> it was kind of more his personal um, uh, uh, modus operandi, I guess, if you want to call it. He's like, dude, I want to get a job where I make as much money as possible and do as little as possible doing doing mm -hmm. it. And he told me this when I, again, right out of college, first got my degree. He got me my first job. He told me this shit. I'm like, ha, 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 it's funny. I looked up to Kevin now, right? Fast forward to like two years ago or three years ago at a, at a Lancer homecoming. He showed up, and um, it's the first time I'd seen him in fucking decade, right? And, um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I brought that to his attention that he, that he told me this, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, he's like, he's like, where'd you get that from? I go, dude, I got that from you. He's like, yep, that sounds like something I would say. Cause like he had completely forgotten that he told me that like in 2003. So what the fuck does he do? He, he, he's just kind of like higher level marketing. He's got some people working underneath him. Huh. Um, and I can't, I, I've actually, it's weird. Like, I don't know if he doesn't really want to get into the details. Cause I remember last time I saw him, I was like, okay, you really have to like, lay out from exactly what you do. And that's kind of what it came down to is he's, he's in marketing, but, um, you know, it's that level of marketing where there's like a lot of money involved. Gotcha. And, um, he, 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 at this point, he's just a hundred percent working from home. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the, the job came with like really good time off and vacation benefits and stuff like that. And, uh, the, the one, the one that really stuck with me though is, his roommate, uh, his roommate Harley. He's a little bit older than, than Kevin, even. Uh, and I, I get to hang out with him a lot when I was coaching in Cleveland because Harley has a, a vacation house in Michigan on this lake, and I'd go and, and hang out. And he had this, you know, he had this nice house. Like he had like a pontoon boat. They'd just go out, chill on the lake, yeah. just drink beer. Like, um, 
fuck around. And I remember them explaining to me what Harley did. And because Harley makes, I mean, he bought this really, really nice um, townhome in Chicago, like huge, got a rooftop deck. I was like, what the fuck does Harley do? And if I'm if I'm remembering this correctly, it was he's basically like in like computer systems, and he works for I can't remember the company. He works for, for a pretty big company, and he only has to really do about forty minutes of work a day. But if he doesn't do whatever he has to do with the computer systems for that forty minutes, like the co- whole company can't do anything. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> it's like. He's, it's like he doesn't really work that much and he gets paid a lot to do it but it's like he's got himself in that spot where like he, he is essential and this whole company doesn't know how to function without him even though he doesn't actually put in very much time at all and I was like huh must be nice so, those two fuckers well sort of yes and no because I don't think it's that interesting for him because I remember um, watching Harley and one being really impressed with him because he was he was always doing things to make the other people around him happy. He was like constantly having to repair things at his house and fix the boat. And he's like, well, okay, I have to go get, go, go out and get food because Kevin's going to cook this big meal for everyone. He was doing all this like, like literal, literal and figurative maintenance work to make sure the people around him were like enjoying themselves. He's getting a, you know, a big house with this cool deck for people to come hang out at. And I really also think, Part of what I picked up on was he did not have any sort of enjoyment or stimulation or anything from his work at all. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, I have to do this shitty stuff so I can have the money and resources to do all this other stuff so people around me can enjoy themselves and then I can enjoy myself. And I was like, that's cool. Like, I, I, again, I was very, always really impressed with him just as, as a person and how much, how much he gave to those around him but i was like man i'd also want to just enjoy what i'm doing like yeah but on the one on the one token like i so i'm i i find myself having that in uh similarity with him is that like i like being being able to host and have people over and entertain i like mm-hmm. doing that i like doing things for others i i find enjoyment out of that um if he's able to uh live and then work like it sounds like work is a secondary thing. It doesn't take, doesn't take up too much of his time. Like a lot of the a lot of people work so they can live a little bit, right? It sounds like he's gotten himself in a position where he can work a little bit to to live, which is mm. you know tomato tomato. Which do you prefer? Do you want to be one of those guys that goes into the office building, sits in the cubicle all day? Do you find enjoyment in that? Well, good for you. You know. Um, it sounds like he's in there in a good place. Maybe he's like his job, but shit, if I can do an hour of work a day and be done with it and still rake rake all this cash and have this big fat place, like I think I'd be okay. It's just it's all relative, you know. So, so let me let me just bring it back though, uh, and this is what I was trying to get at. I, I I do think I can find some something where it's both, where I enjoy the work, like I. I I enjoy making something and I feel whether it's writing or building or whatever. Uh, but like I said, the whole, the whole big impediment and all this stuff. Uh, and that's how, that's how we got on the tangent. I was saying whether it was little stuff like, like going on a vacation with, with Kevin Au or seeing my uncle or whatever, the, the, this one, it's like hurdle, this sort of, not even a hurdle. It's like a fucking wall. I feel like I have to get through that. I just keep banging into it over and over again is my health problems. Yeah. Um, and I've I felt 
maybe, maybe just because I mentally tricked myself, but for the last few months, like I'm close, I'm close for it being over. And that was part of what made today a real rough day. I had a, uh, a teleconference with the, the most recent doctor I saw. I mean, I, I went to her specifically because I was like, I think she's going to be the smartest, most experienced doctor, someone who can actually think outside of the box. If there's something weird that other people just aren't thinking of, she'll come up with it. And one of the things when I was really surprised when I first saw her, she asked me if I had Asian heritage. I was like, what the fuck are you? And I was like, all right, we've got the masks on. So I guess, I guess that makes a little bit sense. Uh, and she brought it, she brought it up because she's like, you know, I'm looking at your neck and I see the MRI and I think your neck should, even with the, the disc degeneration you had, you should be able to move your neck a lot more. And I ask about Asian heritage because there's actually an epidemic uh, in Asia. I mean, they, they view it as an epidemic where there's this this uh, posterior ligament in the kind of the back of your neck. And it, and it, cal- it calcifies, like little like bone deposits start to form until this ligament turns to bone. And I, I feel like your neck, even with the problems in the dish, should, should move a lot more. So I wanted you to get a CT scan to make sure that's not happening. Um, and when she said that, I was like, all right, I'm going to get the CT scan. I, d- I don't think that's it. I-, I felt like it was other things. And then sure enough, I, I-, I uh, had this conference today and she's like, yeah, there- there's- so there is cal- calcification of that ligament. Um, you know, it's not... it's not to the point where we would operate surgically yet. You know, it's, it's a- usually a progressive disease. Uh, and, it, and if it gets to the point where the, the, the bony formation is pushing on your spinal cord, then we just have to remove it. Um, you know, and, but for right now, there's nothing we can do. It just, you know, it, it, anything we would do surgically to try to pull out those bone deposits is just going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, you know, we could... We're going to try to find out why that's happening. You know, she said she'd never seen that in somebody as young as I am. It's usually someone more like in their 70s or, or later. Um, but she's like, yeah, it's probably going to continue to get worse. There's nothing we can do about it. And I had to like say that, you know, because when she said that, I mean, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I was not in my, my I, I usually try to go into these these visits like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? Yeah. Let me get prepared for that. What would be the best case scenario? Let me get prepared for that so I can kind of be like excited and then also, you know, optimistic, but then brace myself for the worst case scenario. And this this was sort of worse than my worst case scenario because she said, hey, there's this whole other thing that you haven't considered. Um, so we're not any closer to figuring out what it is. It's There's something else that's probably worse than what you thought about. And we're just going to have to do a bunch more tests to figure out why this 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 ligament is calcifying, and also more tests to figure out why uh, I'm having these headaches and why I'm having you know problems like using my left arm um, because it's not it doesn't really make sense that e- even if that that ligament was calcified, why I'd be having these other problems. So it's like I had this feeling of like oh I'm I'm almost through the wall. Maybe I've, you know, I'm gonna punch through it with with a, a surgery and a disc replacement. Maybe I can climb over it. And now it's like, no, okay, like, you know, fucking shoots and ladders. You just went down a chute. You're, you're back, you know. I feel like I'm further away than I was a year ago. I've gone through all this shit this year, getting tests, getting MRIs, fighting with insurance, like doing all this. And now she, she, even, she even told me to repeat 
one of the tests that I did back in February 2020 because she she wasn't sure we we weren't sure if those results were even helpful and she wanted to do the same test with a different person I'm like fuck like gonna do all this stuff all over again I'm not any closer and uh I don't know if I can figure out how to move forward without fixing this like all these these hopes and dreams and ideas that I've got all of them hinge on not having constant headaches and being able to use my left arm yeah so I don't do not know what to do about that. Well, the thing is, it just keep fucking marching forward, man. Like it's, it sucks that you're a year has gone by and there's been zero progress, and it sounds like you're you're uh, still at square one. It's it's here's the tough part, man. It's, it hasn't been a year. This really hit me. I felt bad. I was talking with my mom about it, and like I just sort of said it matter of factly because I was like, oh yeah, this is what happened, and like then I like saw like my mom was like. Like almost was like crying. I'm like, okay, let me just let's try let's try to bring the levity back. Let's make some uh, let's make some dumb jokes and talk about me being autistic. And uh, I remember that time I played the Queen of Hearts. But <laughs> the reality of it is, is I mean, um, I, I I thought this was again me thinking best case scenario. You know what? Maybe it is the discs. I'm gonna get the disc replaced. You know, it's I'm gonna get surgery in 2021. That's really gonna be the thing that that turns the tide. I'll get those discs replaced. I'll be able to do physical therapy. I'll get everything back on track. If that was what how it had played out, absolutely, and that was the best case scenario, I, I would have lost a decade of my life to this. Yeah, um, and it really has been like a decade. I mean, because this started, uh, this started in December of of 2012, and you know I still coached for two and a half years after that, but those were like very difficult years and they were not enjoyable. And it was like just, just a, a mental and physical struggle to do anything. And it's been very hard to enjoy a lot, you know, really anything like, you know, we, we were talking, you know, making jokes about going out and, and dating, but it was like, when I first got to Denver, I was dating and I'd have to ask my dad, okay, I need you to like get kinesio tape and like tape me up. Yeah. Cause That'll let me like sit in a chair for maybe like 20, 30 minutes longer. I remember being on those dates and like just like gripping the table, like white knuckles because of like how much everything hurt. And I'm still trying to like, <laughs> I'm still trying to be make jokes and be engaging and like, yeah, like, like let's, let's try to angle for a second date. This girl's pretty cool. And meanwhile, I'm like so much pain where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to like get the check and maybe we walk around the block to wrap this up because I'm going to fucking pass out right now. Like, that's that's sort of been the struggle for like ten years, and the prospect of it really feeling like I'm in a lot of ways back to square one is just a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And the one, um, <laughs> this was a knee jerk reaction. I, I'm gonna definitely. I mean, I didn't sleep well last night. I was I was up thinking about this teleconference and my stand up special and autism and the Queen of Hearts and. All these these weird stories that that uh, we haven't even scratched the surface of on this podcast, but all that shit was just going around in my head. I, I, but uh, my knee jerk reaction was, well, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going back on TRT because <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's going to lead to getting colon cancer and, and dying. But like that'll be that'll be a ways off, and fuck, who knows if I make it that long? Like let's let's if that if that helps me. Uh, Get ahead of steam and, and and just like you said, keep pushing through. Like maybe I need that. I need to I need to roll the dice on uh, on colon cancer. Would that uh, um, would that TRT 
Um, would that be any roadblock or, or uh, uh, stop progress in what this ter- current doctor you're seeing? Like, it, would it would it affect that at all? Would it alter? Or... No, no, no. I don't think. I mean, I would just have to tell her that I was taking it so she could because she she's ordering uh, a bunch of blood work again. I've gotten blood work so many times. I mean, maybe. She, she's searching for some genetic things that, that they hadn't on the other ones. I don't know. But um, I just had to tell her that I was taking it. So they didn't be like, wow, like you're – What if you do – You've got the testosterone what, of a 20-year-old. What if, what if you did have some part Asian and you, you didn't know about? Like uh, what if like <laughs> – I don't. I got a 23 oh, test. Uh, it's no no, no Asian uh, in me whatsoever. Yes. Um, that would have been fucked up if you're like, yeah, that, there's that one mailman <laughs> – you know, the, the, look, the only way I'm going to have any Asian in me is if, if I really uh, get LGBT curious and, um, <laughs> you know, go, go, to, go to Chinatown, Denver and uh, make a new friend. Is there a Chinatown, Denver? It has to be. There's Chinatown everywhere. Probably. I did. I am looking in. in uh, I, I am looking in Denver and I looked at. Uh, shit, I'm forgetting the name. I applied to somewhere in, in, in uh, south of Denver. South of the Denver, it wasn't Lakewood. It was even south, a little bit more south of that. Forgetting the name of it. Anyway, I've been applying uh, uh, Arizona, Colorado, uh, Vegas, Henderson. Still no dice, man. People right now, people uh, are still saving businesses. Are, are you know, they're 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 struggling to to just make it. You know, so yeah. Anyway, uh, have you ever? Considered being a brewmaster. I don't know shit about brewing. Or a, a no no a brew uh, what is it called a beer ranger? What the hell's a beer ranger? I'm just um so one of the obviously like Coors is like the you know the biggest deal there is, but there, there's the New Belgium Brewing Company, uh-huh. um and I think a beer ranger I I think I it, it's it's more of like an entry level job like i don't know if it's just it's factory stuff or whatever i know they're always always hiring uh that might be a weird foot in the door but the the, the two things is one i know that they pay like extremely well that's always been part of their business model like we don't care who you are like you're gonna make like more than enough money to live off of and they they give every new hire they give them like a like a two thousand uh, dollar mountain bike mm-hmm. that's just part of your package you get a bunch of vacation I don't know if you you'd necessarily and I remember when I was like twenty and I was living in Fort Collins I was like fuck should I become a beer ranger yeah like it's just a cool name they I don't gave uh, it, but I don't drink as much beer I, as I would like to because of the tummy issues yeah. so I don't think I could do the beer ranger thing like uh, there's beer oh it's not drinking beer but. I'll, let me let me I'll I'll look into uh, New Belgium just seeing what sort of positions they have because I know that they they're a little bit insulated from all this because they do have such an avid following um, and I know they pay very well so that might be one I you, I I assume you probably wouldn't want to be like like a factory worker or something but even if it was a step down from probably what you should be doing if you could make a like a good salary yeah. and benefits yeah. and get your foot in the door. That That's what I've been thinking about for you. For me, I, I'm thinking like, okay, how creatively could Armando just get his foot in the door with, with one of these, 
these companies. I did apply like whether for those those remote that remote job listing thing you sent me. I think I did apply to like two. There's a couple. Okay. There's a couple of them that I just didn't. They like they uh, they wanted experience with uh, software as a service. Like yeah, you're a sales mm-hmm. guy and whatever, whatever. But they were like, their qualifications. A lot of them were asking for people that had that software as a service as part of their background. I'm like yeah, uh, no, I don't have any of that. You know, I've been working uh, mostly in in uh, in wholesale goods or you know industrial supply goods, and it's not all IT software related. So it'd be if I wanted to enter that world, it'd be I'd have to be doing some entry level work. I wouldn't. I'm like, I'll do entry level work, but don't entry level pay me, motherfucker, because I just I'm not at that point. I'm not. I'm I'm too far into my, uh, I guess, professional career. I've been working for, you know, fifteen, sixteen years or whatever that is. Uh, let's see. They've got. They're hired. They've got a procurement manager, senior financial analysts, HR executive. Uh, brand ambassador, that's probably accounting clerk, executive assistant. Eh, that looks like what they're, I don't, I feel like accounting clerk could be probably w- w- several steps down the ladder from where you'd want. And the senior financial analyst might be a little bit out of your scope of experience. Yeah. Hmm. It is what it is. I'm gonna keep plucking. I'm still gonna keep plugging away. It's just so happens to be, like I said, the you know the the economy isn't the strongest right now. People are, companies are struggling, and uh, it just happens to be like the, I guess you want to call it I mean, field of expertise right now is not like the, it's not the hotbed of hiring right now. You know what's doing a lot of hiring is registered nurses. If you're an RN, <laughs> you're wanted everywhere. Jesus yeah, you're in high demand right now. Well, I don't know if you want that job right now, yeah. but. I guess to try to wrap this up, because as I mentioned before, my, my whole family's busted up and I got to go, go walk the dog. But uh, I, I think <laughs> whether it's TRT or being creative in the hiring process or whatever, uh, th- things are not going to be easy. But I, th- I think I think it's it's uh, it's going to take some creative and maybe even over the top, outside of the box uh, tactics to, to get through the walls that are 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 before us, but I think it's at a point. Fucking do what you got to do. Yeah. Yep. Keep plugging away. If if I if I if I start TRT, then maybe we'll have a whole nother <laughs> set of, of things to talk about on the podcast. Yeah. You got. Right. Maybe maybe when I someone cuts me off in traffic and I have road rage, I, I finally do follow them home and. and uh, an exact revenge. We could we could do this podcast from like the Denver County lockup. Yeah, it'd be cool. I'm looking forward to it. So, dear viewers, look forward to that. Um, if there's any wealthy listeners that, that want that story to continue, please uh, set aside uh, a small portion of money for bail, because um, <laughs> we might not need, need that in the future. The, the, these these are dark times, but we will approach it with humor and hopefully your uh, financial contribution for legal fees. Yay. That's all I have to say. Peace out. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.
Hey everyone, Mondo here. I just want to take the time to say on behalf of myself and Aaron that we appreciate everyone who's taken the time to listen to our podcast. We know there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts to choose from, but you took some time out of your day to listen to us ramble on. Please share our podcast, like and subscribe, follow us on all our social media platforms and all that jazz. Whether you love us, hate us, agree with our opinions or disagree, we still love you. 